What's up, everybody? Thanks again for tuning in. Today, we had Steve Rio on. Steve Rio is the CEO and founder of BrightWeb. BrightWeb is a digital agency for social impact companies. It's a very uh, interesting model that is a distributed network of workers, um, but also has uh, turnkey education and is just a new business model around how we can organize our workforce. Uh, he's a thought leader in many regards. He's also the um, CEO and founder of Nature of work, which is based around how do we live uh, a purposeful and impactful and mindful life. Uh, he's, you know, a practitioner in many of the things that he studies uh, studies about and works in. Uh, he also happens to be the CEO, COO and co-founder of Ollie, which is, uh, you know, a, a distribution model for uh, craft beer and, and, and alcohol, which is very interesting, but also ties back into social impact. So Steve is someone who cares. Uh, he's very insightful. He's honest. He's fun. Uh, he's an extremely intelligent. He's an ex- extremely good leader and, and communicator. He's also someone that... Uh, has lived on the edge and someone that, you know, one time biked from Mexico, biked to Mexico from BC. Uh, He's a futurist. Uh, He's passionate around improving lives. I learned a ton and he's someone who's just intellectually challenging. Like he's, he's a juggernaut in that regard. He's someone who's highly advanced uh, in, in many facets of life, a deep thinker. He talks a lot about creating space and getting down to the subconscious level and understanding how the brain works and where we're going with technology and where we're going with work and various other things. Uh, At the end of the day, um, anything that involves the pursuit of a rich and rewarding human experience, that's what Steve's about. Um, And he understands where value comes in his life and executes on that. So uh, definitely someone I look up to, definitely someone uh, that I I draw a lot of knowledge and inspiration from. uh, And I will look forward to just following him as a North Star as he continues to grow and move and and create, you know, impactful lives. So you guys are going to love this one. It's three, four, freaking hours long. I apologize. I just, we, we couldn't get to the bottom of anything and, and we got through so many different things. If you want to listen, you know, deeply and purposefully to this podcast, you know, please take the time, please take some notes, understand what you're listening to and, and, and get something from it. So thanks guys. Check it out. Steve Rio. Dude. Um, thanks for coming. First right off, uh, Bowen Island. Yes. Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, no doubt. Those two things have nothing in common, except both are places where Steve Rio resides. Yeah, that's enough. What the hell? It's a it's a it's a fairly eclectic lifestyle. Eclectic. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually it's basically like the opposite ends of the universe, right? Like the quiet, super small community, close to nature, lots of quiet time and space, and then like a most the most one of the most insane cities on the planet. Lots of noise, lots of people, lots of energy, lots Complete of culture. Pandemonium. Yeah, it's been really interesting. I I was going to uh, New York a lot before we moved to Bowen, but once we moved to Bowen, that transition, like when I travel there, like the first couple of days when I first get to New York, is always just I can't really sleep for the first couple of days, right? Just because the energy field in New York is so crazy, and I'm used to being around almost no one most of the week. You know? Yeah. How many people live on Bowen Island? I think. 
I think I think the number's around thirty six, thirty seven hundred kind of thing. But I'm oh. on my property. I'm you know my energy field is, is... My, me and my wife. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm on video calls and stuff. I'm in Vancouver one day a week, but basically that's a it. Completely different vibe. Yeah, I I, li- I like that as a place to start because I think it really like provides a lot of context for your polarity as a human. Mm, you know, yeah. like you have things that are just completely on the other other side of the spectrum. You're not very as I was digging through, I was trying to find ways where I could find patterns in how you were like uh, approaching things. And you, you really, you don't have a lot of monolithic thought when you break something down, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not to get too Kanye on you, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But like you, you, you really try to go, okay, so this is one end of the spectrum. Let's go to the exact opposite and then kind of work your way back in between that's to a, get the full spectrum. That's a fair, a fair assessment. <laughs> I'm, I am like, I am fairly extreme. I'm, I often start in extremes and find some middle ground over mm-hmm. time. So that's mm-hmm. actually an interesting observation. Well, yeah, I mean, where that observation started was obviously you've you've done a ton of work on on productivity and, and sleep and and just human optimization and and happiness and joy and fulfillment in general. Yeah. But you know that started the whole polarity thing started when I saw that you were diagnosed with auto, autoimmune disease and yeah. yet you are this person who seemingly sleeps you know eight hours nine hours whatever it is right. you know now at this point so you've clearly gone to both ends of the spectrum um and and really understood what's best for you at that point and what's best for you moving forward and what's best for humans and and your workforce moving forward and and it's really super interesting especially your ideas around productivity part of me was i want to say scared uncomfortable in, in sitting down and talking to you because I was like, oh, shit, Steve's going to come here. And I have this way of thinking, which is very, you know, go, 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 go as a 20-year-old. Um, yep. You know, so I'm very much on one cent- side of the spectrum. I'm like, oh, shit, Steve's going to come here. He's going to say a bunch of stuff. I know he's a super intelligent human being. He's going to make a ton of sense. <laughs> he's going to change my way of thinking. And then I'm going to slow down. And then there's just going to be this voice in my head saying, Josh, you're falling off. And I was just like, ah. Oh. Isn't that it's so interesting how it's so easy to feel like, man, I'm not doing enough. I got to, you know, like it, this all, when I was your age, like when I was, when I was, uh, I don't want to sound like an old man, but like when I was your age, that's, I mean, that's, I was trying to do every possible thing to sleep less. <laughs> I was trying uh, like biphasic sleep or polyphasic sleep cycles. Are you familiar with that at all? I am. Um, Poly, like the basics, like yeah. the basics is, is. You know, people have experimented with this over time, but tried things where you sleep for 15 minutes every two hours instead of sleeping through the night. Or, okay, that's different than what I knew. Or you can sleep. Well, there's lots of different. Or you sleep for an hour every three hours, mm-hmm. and but you never sleep an entire an entire night. Night, in in ways of. So I was trying that for like I was trying to hack that and figure out how I could sleep less. I, I think that it, when you're when you're younger, like when you're in your 20s, it does feel like time is ripping by that you are you're in some kind of race and it's usually just with yourself, but yes. you do feel like you're in a race. It's really interesting is that like, as I've gotten older and, and I do think that that's when I, I, I were, I worked myself so, so fucking hard. Um, that I think that's when I got kidney disease. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's, I think I put myself under extreme pressure, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, but, but now it's very interesting that it, and I'm in my late thirties now and it's, it's interesting how time, the reality, like your um, your perception of time really shifts. And like I can I can now think a couple years ahead and go, okay, I'm going to work towards that goal for the next couple of years. And mm-hmm. in two years, I'll be here. And that doesn't feel like a long period of time. Like I know that's going to kind of rip by, yeah, right? Yeah. 
and you get a lot more comfortable with setting five-year goals or working on something. And also, you know, then I've done all the research on why not sleeping and why doing all these things. We can talk about that later, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, I was doing all that same shit, you know? Yeah. I, I had, um, I had a phase, Tracy knows. Um, I had a phase where, uh, <laughs> you ever heard of Ryan Leslie? You're a rap guy. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan Leslie went to Harvard and he, at one time spoke, he did this documentary, this black Mozart documentary. And he talked about how he went on this dimaxin sleep schedule, which is essentially like, so I thought polyphasic was the same, but dimaxin is you take, you need, um, there's four stages of sleep, five stages of sleep. Yeah. Uh, which one is it? Well, it, 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 they used to call it five and now they kind of refer to it as four phases of sleep. But. REM one, two, three and deep. It's, it's, it's REM. It just depends. REM is the, is the, is the third, uh, fourth stage of sleep. So you kind of get deeper and deeper into sleep, then there's REM sleep, then you cycle back. Okay. But a, but there's a first phase of sleep that there, there's also an, like a phase of sleep as you're going into sleep that mm-hmm. you have occurs too, mm-hmm. but it's not really counted. So anyway. Okay. So t- so tell me how wrong I am here. So what I, what I thought when I did the research on it, when I said do the research, I mean go through Reddit streams, <laughs> basically, and uh, and, mm-hmm. and watch YouTube videos. <clears throat> it was you need um, one full in order to have like minimal cognitive um, function. You need to, you need to have one full ninety minute sleep, yeah. and then you can take thirty minute naps throughout the day. So like twelve to one thirty sleep, and then you go uh, three a.m. thirty minute, nine a.m. thirty minute. 3 p.m., 30 minute, 9 p.m., 30 minute. Oh, interesting. That's what was it's my... An interesting theory. That was my thing. Uh, didn't, didn't work. It, it does not work. Tried. No, it does not work. It, you're just going to burn. <laughs> 100%. It's interesting because that's like, that's actually based... So we have a, a circadian rhythm. And what's interesting is that for everybody, it like when we're sleeping earlier in the night, we're getting less REM sleep and more deep phase sleep. And deep phase sleep is is physically restorative. So if you're... Anything you're doing, like, you know, repairing muscles, uh, re- like clearing cancer, uh, doing all sorts of things out of the body, deep face sleep, that's really important. Okay. REM sleep, as you get closer to morning, the REM cycles get longer. So basically, your deep face cycles get shorter and your REM phase cycles get longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the morning, that's often why you, you have more dreams in the morning and you remember them and mm-hmm. that sort of happens. And so if you sleep, if you're someone, if you're more of a creative, you often stay up later and and then sleep later into the day and you'll have you'll get more REM sleep than you will physically like the the deep wave sleep right. but through the whole day that cycle exists so if you're napping like like I've read a, some some literature on on napping there's a great book by some I think Stanford researchers mm. it's called take a nap change your life i think is the name <laughs> of the book yeah Gotta love titles pretty great title yeah um but they try to talk about like if you want to have creative naps have them in the morning late morning if you want to have physically restorative naps have them later in the afternoon so oh, maybe this shit. this I, i've never heard of what you're describing but maybe wow. it's based on that research and trying to hack that in some totally. way saying like if i get a half hour of sleep at different parts of the day i get but right, that's just not that's just not how sleep really works. So, so. I was like on this train for like a bit. I was yeah. What doesn't matter? How long <laughs> did you try to do this? Like three months. Yeah, it crashed, burned. Yeah, yeah, it sucked. Weird part of my so life. So wh- why? Like why did you do it? Uh, I was in a situation where I was working for somebody, and I uh, I was in a job where I was not qualified, but was been just being thrown and okay. things were way above. So then, you know, if I had six hours or eight hours, and it was elite level work, 
Right. And, and essentially, well, I, I, I would need to do six hours of learning or training yeah. to be able. So it would take me 16 hours to execute a 10-hour job, right? Yeah. That's not on them. That's on me. So as a person being thrown into that situation as you a 22-year-old, you're like, okay, I got to figure out how to like populate and, and formulate Excel sheets to like, like do, you know, just that I've never done before that I've never done before yeah. or like figure out like, you know, different ISOs on photos or whatever it may be. Like, should I have zero clue yeah. or education about it's okay. I need to, there's just no way around. There's, n- there's no way around. And I'm like, okay, I'll toss out social. It's no problem. Like I right. live with my girlfriend. It's cool. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, families, families, different parts of the world, you know, not whatever done. Right. right? So I was like, yeah, I can cut out, cut out, cut out, cut out. What's next? You know, and then yeah. it's this, you know, so the physical was like, ah, uh, yeah, okay, that's gone. And then we'll do sleep is the last thing. Yeah. And so I was trying to make it work. And, you know, that's what you do when you're, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely, I, you go through periods of that where you're stretched, like you're pushing yourself to the limit in terms of learning or, yeah, doing things like that. I've, I've had periods like where I took on projects that I had no idea what I was doing. I just said yes. So why did you say yes? Yeah. Because you have to. That's, that's <laughs> life, right? Like life is about learning and about doing cool shit. So, I mean... Yeah. I, yeah, but and, and uh, like and you you're much more elastic when you're younger. Like you can bounce back from that stuff. I think it's prolonged periods. That's really a big problem, especially right. when you're young. But um, it also yeah it it it's so interesting that we have this relationship with time where oh well if I can just get a couple more hours in the day and I can get more done. But when you're sacrificing sleep for that, the quality of those hours is so much lower drastically. Right, and you're just so you're kind of getting into this funny cycle where you're getting less done. So you need more hours. So you sleep less. So you get less done because you need and more hours. And it's just down and down and down and down and down. And you make more errors. You yeah. have to go back and you have to And there's track. tons of research on this. This is like the whole, we were joking about the flat earth thing. Like this is the whole thing. There's awesome research on this. It's decades old. It hasn't changed. It's not like it's up for debate. Like this right. is really clear stuff. Okay, so sorry, I gotta ask you one question. But first, you said earlier about the deep sleep. So like, I wear a Fitbit. I, I try to. It shows me when my deep sleep is. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get a lot of it. I try. Like, I try to. Get, I'm, a, I'm an early riser. Yeah. And so I'll try to get to bed. Like, uh, I'm like, I get an alarm at like eight o'clock. That's like, Joss, go to bed. You know, and then like nine o'clock rolls around. I'm in bed, right? Yeah. Um. So when is the best time to to like? F- when is the best time to get that deep sleep? Well, so deep sleep happens throughout the night, but is the earlier cycles of your sleep. Okay. So, yeah, if you're working out a lot or you're doing physical stuff, like sleeping earlier is more important than the late morning. Like, okay. So if you're going to bed earlier and getting up early, mm-hmm. that that's a better time to sleep. You're going to get more deep wave sleep than you're going to get REM sleep. Mm. Like in, but it is a 90-minute. So, you know, that, that thing you were trying is based. There is a 90-minute cycle roughly where mm-hmm. you're going through these cycles of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um so you, you do get it throughout the night. It's just that if you think about the 90-minute cycle, like if you think about it as like a, a pie chart, the, the deep wave sleep starts to get shorter, like mm-hmm. smaller, and the REM sleep starts to get bigger as those 90-minute blocks okay, go on. Okay, so if you okay. have four 90-minute cycles of sleep, the first couple, you're going to have bigger portions of that 90-minute be deep wave. Mm. And as you get closer to the morning, the, 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 the REM sleep increases. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. What, what made you go to this polyphasic sleep what made you go? same 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 stupid shit as you <laughs> <laughs> same thing is like is trying to is trying to get more time out of my day because at the time i was uh recording music i was like i was playing in probably two different bands or producing some music i was working i was just i was a grinder like mm. i've I'm always been a somebody who has a million things that i want to achieve and A-type. do yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. that's just how i'm wired Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so yeah, just trying to do as many things in one day as possible. And you justified it. At the time I did. Yeah. Not anymore. Like really, like a lot of this for me is, man, if I could go back and tell myself to just calm down and, and, and take it a bit slower, A, I'd probably be physically healthier now, which I, I actually am pretty healthy these days. Yeah, you look take great. Really good, like, yeah. good care of myself. Yeah. Um, and I've done a lot of research and my wife does a lot of research and we're really on top of this stuff. But, mm. um, but I also just look back at how hard I was working myself and I feel like, man, I could have moved actually faster if I was a little bit more strategic around that. Yeah, we're pretty dumb as young males. That's what happens. It's fucking tough, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, flat earthers around sleep. Totally right. I, I've uh, <laughs> looked a little bit into the work of uh, Matthew Walker. Yeah. Um, shout out he's to, great. to Joe Rogan, of course. He put me on to that. Um, and yeah, his I use, podcast, oh, his Joe Rogan interview is awesome. Un- unreal. It's unreal. I love that's. I mean, yeah, we try to emulate it. It was... And I used to always think, so I used to, you know, it's funny how you get uh, confirmation bias. And I was looking at, oh, why is polyphasic sleep is the best? And, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and it would pop up like, oh, well, the eight hours of sleep was derived from the Industrial Revolution. And we're not actually meant to sleep like this. And our ancestors had to get up and had to move. And we didn't have eight hours of prolonged. And I was like, oh, it's natural. It's not. Um, <laughs> uh, when you say people are flat earthers around, you know, sleep, productivity, you know, why? Like information is there. Information is clearly there. It's the same thing, you know, around climate, yeah. you know, but in, in terms of sleep, the information is right there, super accessible, right in front of our face. And we can see, we can drastically see, um, the side effects. Yeah. You know, there's an, ex- uh, there's a, um, very direct cause effect relationship. Why the, why are we not aware or fixing this? Well, what's interesting is that we've only been, we've, we've only been, um, depriving ourselves of sleep as humans for about a hundred years. Like it only started about a hundred years ago that we started rolling back our sleep. Before then we actually slept lots. Mm. We're the only animal, the only mammal on earth that uh, it actually deprives itself of sleep um, on purpose. Mm. Um, I think in many ways, like we were designed hundreds of thousands of years ago. We have all of this programming. Our brains are, are a couple hundred thousand years old, right? Like we have a lot of programming that is not designed for today's world, right? Right. And if you think about even just starting in the, um, I don't know exactly when faxes started coming, but those like, you know, the phone came, suddenly we could make phone calls and we could do deals without flying or, or you know, traveling mm-hmm. across the world to get to each other. Mm-hmm. And then we introduce fax and suddenly we can sign a contract and I can fax it to you and we have a deal where literally when, if we were going to do a deal, you'd mail me a contract and take a week to get to me or whatever, yeah. two weeks to get to me. I'd sign it, put it back in the mail and two, like four weeks later, We'd get on the phone and go, great, we have a deal. Let's start the project. And that's the pace of business. That's the pace of everything, right? But as we've introduced these different technologies, starting with fax, and then when email came, it was just completely game changer overnight in terms of pace. Um, we've, We've had this desire to keep, you know, it's like we're setting a trap for ourselves and then we jump in the trap. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, humans are natural. Like we naturally want to evolve and move faster and do better and do bigger. Like it's, we're evolutionarily designed to win and like everything and is. evolve like everything is yeah, right. Like yeah, everything is, yeah. but, but we haven't really been intelligent about it. So yeah, you know, no, we're, we're pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> generally speaking, uh, when it comes we're, to we're ourselves, really, we're really bad at predicting what will be good and bad for us. Right. We're not, we're naturally not very good at seeing 
uh, you know, looking at future scenarios. We're just right. naturally, we're designed, again, we're, we're designed, A, we're not, you know, like the way we look at, you know, the issues with climate change we're seeing right now and everyone's like, why can't we do something about it? Well, we're not really designed to care about the whole world. Right. We're, our brains, we're designed to care about our, our tribe and, and like a, a select group of people nearby the us. 50 people around yeah. us, yeah. Like frankly, the fact that in North America, like in America, they, they are, it's a multicultural country with all these different races and things like this is the first time in human history that that's mm. existed. Like this mm. is an interesting experiment that we are mm. running and people are surprised that, you know, there's insane racism and all this crazy stuff going on yeah. but it's like well we're we're a couple of years we're a few hundred years into an experiment over the evolution of of a tribal uh tribal humans right mm-hmm. so so these kind of things like we're not actually great and then on our health and stuff we're just not really great at predicting it like we started smoking yeah cigarettes and we thought that makes sense like let's inhale cigarettes smoke yeah yeah and and then all the tech and all the research started coming out research started coming out in the 30s on cigarettes and we ignored it. And then, you know, John Hopkins, who's, a, you know, one of the very respected uh, research hospital in, in the United States, they came out with very good research in 38. Smoking was like going like this mm-hmm. in terms of trend and popularity. Um, and even through the 50s, 60s, 70s, that's when research really became mainstream. And, and still, we, we weren't really able to think it through. No, and we, we still aren't. And it's funny how that we, we've seen that whole revolution go through and like i always think like you know it's i mean my parents smoked yeah uh, and i'm like it's 2019 people smoke like that's ridiculous so i always thought when i was a kid i was like oh it's okay like all of our parents smoke but by the time we're you know 20 30 40 there's no way like it'll die now it has to die now people are smoking like little usb sticks they're smoking usb (laughs) sticks welcome to 2019 (laughs) (laughs) exactly but it's really interesting like yeah it's pretty bizarre i can't understand it and now we Tobacco is still a huge problem. Smoking is still a huge problem. Uh, people die every day, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever that number is. We can't seem to get over it. And now we have this new problem. You wrote an article recently that uh, social media is the new tobacco, yeah. which I loved. And it was essentially we're just this empty hole searching for meaning and dopamine and pleasure. And that just ties back into our primal brain. I think mm-hmm. there's, I think there's overlying themes in the research you've done in terms of we're still operating on a framework on a hardware that is not built for what we and have. And we're right being now. hacked repeatedly, right? Like tobacco was, was hacking. The tobacco industry knew very well what they were doing pretty early on. Right. right. And they continued to deny it. They built large lobbying bodies while doing research to make their cigarettes more addictive, addictive, right? And put other chemicals in them and make the tobacco, like make the nicotine, like besides nicotine, what else can we put in to enhance that mm-hmm. addiction, right? But the same thing is happening in technology right now. So that's, I mean, that's kind of why I read, wrote the article is that these, these the social media companies, they are, they have large teams of attention engineers. They have large teams of people that are, their specific role is to make these products more addictive. So, you know, we are being hacked. It, it's, I mean... We didn't enter into an agreement with Facebook that said, yeah, what we'd like to do, Facebook, I'd like to sign up for your platform, and then I'd like to spend every waking moment yeah. on it. And, and now it's Instagram. Like, Facebook's kind of dying, but now it's Instagram or other Same things, company, right? Yeah. But that's not really what we signed up for. We signed up because we wanted to see our friends and see what was going on, right? Mm-hmm. But really quickly, you get caught into this loop, and, and you get you get addicted. I mean, they're using technology from... Uh, the gambling industry, they're taking all sorts of everything they can take. Like there's an interesting uh, 
um, little story of uh, a developer uh, who used to work at Facebook told, uh, he, he was at the start of his talk at uh, South by Southwest, he said, mm. you know, on the first day you walked into Facebook, and I don't know if they do this anymore, they've probably rolled this back a bit, but <laughs> there's a big number on the wall, and it kind of looks like, you know, in, in, in New York, there's a big number to show the, f- uh, the federal debt. Right. It's like a number that's just going up and yeah, up and yeah, up. Yeah. And he said, like, there's a big number on the wall inside Facebook, and they point at that number, and they say, You're, that's the amount of minutes that people are spending on Facebook. Your only job is to make that number go up. Right. So like this is the mindset of these companies. And then we wonder why we have this issue. Right. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, all of the things that I'm doing and thinking about, and there's lots of other great people thinking about this. Cal Newport is doing awesome work on Mm -hmm. this stuff. Um, There's there's Tristan Harris is doing awesome work on this stuff. Um, But is is to say, like with smoking, it took, you know, what, 40, 50 years to get regulations, to get awareness, to build things. With technology, we, we can't move we that slow. That. Yeah, like, that, let's yeah. not go that slow. Let's actually just become aware as human beings and get smart and make some better choices. So what's that going to take? We, we obviously don't have the luxury of 50 years. No, I don't think we do. I, I mean, you look, at, you look at what it's doing to society. You look at depression rates. Depression rates, 12 to 17-year-olds' depression rates are up 63% Crazy. since 2013. Since 2013. Yeah, like just a few years. And, th- and, those, and those numbers are being directly... Um, correlated with with technology use mm-hmm. and 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 what because it, it's depression based on isolation based on loneliness like there's mm-hmm. some really serious societal issues happening here and then you're seeing what's happening playing out in politics and right. divisiveness and like people like russia and other bad polarity. actors basically yeah. using that polarity um, mm-hmm. as a weapon so there's just really interesting things happening to society very very quickly mm-hmm. and so like I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful in one way, in, in certain ways. Like on the one hand, technology is it's it's super addictive, but it's also not a substance that's going into our body. So it's actually breaking that cycle is is quite a bit easier than nicotine or cocaine or heroin or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, while like they've done some testing, while social media has been shown to be about as addictive as cocaine, it's also not a substance that you have to wean off of. So, so it's, it's, you're mentally addicted, but you can wean off it quite quickly. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, I'm hopeful that, um, it's interesting because they've created the technology to spread information much faster than we could in the fifties, sixties, right? And now that information's false. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like 97% of that information is false, but the 3% that's real can also spread fast. So I'm also hopeful that these tools will also help get information out. Like, I don't actually think, I think it would be great if there were social networks that did what they advertised to do, which was to connect people. Like, I don't think Facebook's trying to connect people. I think Facebook's job is to keep you on their platform as long as possible. Generate ad revenue. Yeah. You are the product. You're not, you're not the, you're not the customer. You're the product. Yeah. I, I deep dived on that a a little while ago (laughs) and and my whole, Oh man, that'll get you. It's pretty trippy. Yeah. Like I'm being sold constantly. Absolutely. I'm literally working. So, okay. I spend five hours a day on Facebook. I'm working for someone else for five hours a day. Yeah. Whether that's data, whether that's views, whether that's ad revenue, whatever it is, that's creating dollars. Which again is nothing we signed up for. We signed up because we wanted to see what our friends and family were doing. We wanted to keep up with what's going on in the world. Like Mm -hmm. there are legitimate reasons to have platforms that connect us. People were very, very excited. Like folks, like there's a, there's a awesome, um, I don't know what he'd call himself, a media, th- media theorist or something like that. Or a, oh, that's a fun new term. Something like that. I like it. But his name's Douglas Rushkoff, and, and he was actually the guy who coined the term uh, viral media, like going viral. Mm. He wrote a book called Media Virus like 
I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or something. I actually, 20 years ago. Well, I don't know, like a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, probably probably 20 years ago. I would say, I think in the late 90s, but I could be totally wrong. That's, but but wow. anyway, he, he was one of these guys who was super excited about the potential of the internet. The internet's going to connect all of us. And his whole thing with a media virus is this, oh, you can have a great idea and it can spread around the world mm-hmm. instantly now. Mm-hmm. And he was super excited about that. Now he's writing books called Team Human, which is basically, hey, we need to... We need to really understand like, and make choices that are good for humanity, and we need to stop evangelizing technology in the way we are. Mm-hmm. We need to make some hard choices. So a lot of people have come full circle, but there was a time when we should, like, when, when there was lots, of, lots to be excited about in the Internet, and I still think there is. Yeah. I just think we need to be aware of what platforms are on and what their intention is. Like, I think it's the easiest thing you can do is look at any platform and say, am I paying anything to be here? Like, are they monetizing? Am I buying something from this person, mm-hmm. right? And if I'm not, and they're making lots of money, then who? There's a disconnect. Like, who is making? How are they making that money? Yeah. Like, are their are their intentions aligned with mine? Is what they're advertising aligned with their intentions? With with their with what they're what they're suggesting their intentions are. Like Facebook is all right. saying this. You know, I think they're what is their? I don't know what their platform uh, slogan is, but it's something like connect the world. Or, yeah something big like that with yeah rainbows and and, yeah and butterflies yeah i know for sure there's so many places you could go off that there's so many little tangents i could go but what do you think the avenue or what's the route what's the game plan what's the map in your mind as someone who's researched in this in this field of what is the way we get out of this what's the where's the light because i'm not seeing it well it's actually really simple like it's it's really simple this is the work we're doing with nature of work with with my new company and but it's it, like to put it as simply as possible is take control of your attention, take back your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, like kind of think of it as being an attention activist or something like that. Like I like these terms. Yeah. Be, I like these be, terms. Every day we have a choice. Every, every morning we wake up and, and every minute of that day we have a choice. What will we pay attention to? Yeah. And right now we have a lot of preconditioned habits and addictions and compulsions yeah. to reach for our phone yeah. and, and pay attention to some bullshit, right? And pay attention to stuff that isn't making our lives better, is actually depressing us and making, feel like, making us feel isolated, mm-hmm. is not really helping us in any way, mm-hmm. is making lots of other people rich, right? So we, but we have a choice. It's as simple as, hey, like, just take back control of your attention. That's the first step. Mm-hmm. And it starts with what what is the first like half hour of your day look like can you can you make it half hour without your phone can you remove so like can you remove social media apps from your phone entirely mm-hmm. can you you know can you set new habits with yourself so that even if you do want to do some connection on let's say instagram and 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 check in with friends or something like that can you do that in set periods of the day rather than every five every time you get five minutes mm-hmm. that's the first thing you're doing so i think i, I think the two things that we're seeing is that our attention is being taken from us, um, is being manipulated away from us. It's not being taken because we're giving it away, but it's, but it's being manipulated away from us. Yeah. And the second thing is that because, they're, because we're spending so much of our mental energy on technology, we're not actually getting any time to think. And so by creating space, by, by, by actually creating space in your time in your day, you start to reflect on what's important to you. You start processing your ideas and your thoughts. You start having new ideas. You start just things start happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you start getting light bulb moments. Hundred percent. You just things just start happening in a different way when you start freeing up your mind to do 
what it was designed to do. Process things. Yeah, to think deeply. To think deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, deep work, to, to reference that again. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, lots of powerful things there. I want a perfect segue there into nature of work and, and building habits. So, like, for instance, if I, if I was to get a little bit selfish here and say, okay, how should me as an average person or someone that's consumed in this world, like, mm-hmm. utterly consumed, mm-hmm. one hundred, like... I mean, we do the podcast as one thing. You know, we have a hundred different endeavors, all of which are pushed out over social media. Right. You know, like it, we are. It, yeah, you're like, leveraging all the channels. And we're leveraging everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our attention is there. We're trying to get some, you know, and, and there's no, like, we're not printing out flyers, you know, like we have to, we have to yeah, go that's on this how way. It works. <laughs> you know, like this is how it works. So you're not on the corner. No, a hundred percent. And I wish I was, I would, I would much rather that if we lived in a world where there's no social media, I wish I was born in the eighties and the nineties like and the sixties, a true extrovert, like, Hey, yo, here's my CD or here's my flyer come to my yeah. event or like, you know, doing the guerrilla marketing shit. That's amazing. But we're so immersed in this. So for a company and a person like myself where it's like, Hey, I, quote unquote need to leverage this shit how do i disconnect because all the time i'm like i don't want to be on facebook i get really scared with the whole data thing yeah totally i don't want to be on facebook you know i want to get away from that i don't find value in it all my family members i have their phone numbers i'm good like i know where they are and if they're in town they'll call me and we'll connect because i have that you know relationship i don't need that I don't want that, but yeah. yet I need to push this shit out here. I don't want that Instagram, but yet yeah. I need to push this shit out here. So I'm yeah. trapped. Yeah. Well, well, on the one hand, if you're if you're using these things as tools, so it's interesting because with nature of work, we're going to be doing a lot of digital marketing, and I, I actually I talked <laughs> yeah. to, I talked to one of my coaches about this because I felt a little bit thrown off about the whole idea. I'm like, well, our whole thing is we don't want we want people to remove themselves from social media, yet the way to reach them is through social media. So. Does that make sense? And and she's really funny. She's kind of this is one of my more trippy spiritual coaches. But I like she, it. she uh, Bowen Island types. No, no, no. She, but but California types. California so, yeah. types. Yeah, I like it. Uh, and she said to me, she's like, oh, it's no problem. She's like, that's just that's what Jesus does. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus will make you drink so that you realize drinking is bad, or sh- they'll trip you and he'll he'll make you trip and like she was kind of like and but anyway that's a kind of a funny story but but the but the the thing for me is like i want people to find out about us to to access and and to gain control over their attention in this and and whatnot and then to get off these things but i also think that using these things as tools like when you use technology as a tool it's very different than when you're using it mindlessly when you're using it without intention like i think a lot of what i think about and, and try to help people with and and what we think about with nature of work is around attention and intention so why are you on instagram right now like is there is there is there a good reason for that and and obviously it's a great it's an important marketing channel it's an important way to get ideas out and if you're spreading good energy and and spreading good information and and positive things then you're doing a service you know you're you're offering a service and i think there's value in that so i think that's like it's a net benefit that's really good yeah Yeah, One thing I did, like I, I killed my Facebook account, I think uh, a year or maybe two years ago now, um, completely killed it. And um, but now because we're setting up some ad campaigns and stuff like that, like I need to have a, a, an account. So I created an account, but it has no it has no yeah, friends, yeah. right? It has no photo, it's, and, it's and a ghost, the privacy yeah. settings are completely locked down. But it's a way for me to access in there and, and do what I need to do. I have Instagram, like I'm on it a bit. Again, I don't think it's kind of like it's kind of like drugs like anything in moderation is <laughs> is it can be okay right it's when you're it's when it's compulsive behavior and when it's interrupting other better behavior that it's a real problem right like if yeah. i spend five minutes a day on instagram 
I don't think that's really a problem. Besides the potential risk of me feeling bad about my life because everybody's like filtered life looks really, really great. Mm -hmm. Besides that factor, um, if I've got myself in check in that way, then what is five, like five minutes a day is not a big deal. Yeah, totally. When a lot of people are spending two, three hours a day. Teens, five, six. Yeah. Like, yeah. like teens are spending an average of 11 hours a day on their phone. 11 hours Yeah. A so day. That's, a, that's an intense amount of time. So I, I just think it's a matter of, it's it's not saying, hey, we need to throw all our phones in the ocean and walk into the woods, right? Because like, that's where I would go with I, Well, it, no, like. <laughs> I, I would be into that. I'm pretty into that. Yeah. But I don't think that that's a reality. We are, in right. a, we are in an era where we are making podcasts and doing all sorts of stuff. We are oh, on, yeah. we are doing technology. Uh, we are on technology and that's, that's okay. Sure. Yeah, it's okay. And I really like that uh, intention versus, uh, what do you say, attention versus intention? Well, no, like I just focus on your, like how you're spending your attention and, and what is your intention Engine. with using any of these attention things. Attention versus yeah. intention. No, that's, yeah. that's amazing. But lines get blurred. <laughs> of course they do, yeah. Like, dude, I, I, so, so how we post easy every is it Monday. go down a wormhole? <laughs> oh, dude. So literally, 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 I will pop up and we post every Monday. Our podcast drops every Monday. So I'll go up, boom, stories, posts, this this channel, that channel, self-hire brand, personal brand, da-da-da-da, all interlace them, tag, da-da-da-da. And like, you know how easy it is for me to spend two hours on that or an hour and a half yeah. on that? It yeah. could be done in 15 minutes. Yeah. But all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, and then you just, oh, I get grabbed. Oh, and now, oh, now I'm in the Explore page. Why am I in the Explore Think page? Think about how addictive these tools are it's that ridiculous. it's that easy to fall into a trap. Yeah. YouTube is the same. All these tools oh. are the same. It's They're unbelievable at, you go in and for one thing and you end up doing 10 other things. It's really wild. And you forget why you're there in the first place. Yeah. And what actually ends up happening too is if, if our brains are, are, we're in a conditional state of multitasking, that our brains are actually less... Act at last, less able to um, basically prioritize. Mm-hmm. So what starts to happen is that we're less able to prioritize our time and our energy. So so these things get easier. It's like again, it's kind of a downward spiral sort of sort of thing, where where you. I mean, I have the same thing in my email all the time, where I right. go in looking for some piece of information, but then I end up responding to five emails and doing a bunch of stuff like. It, our brains kind of have been conditioned to, hey, there's a bunch of things I could do here. Yeah, precious like, button, 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 t- button. Yeah, button, yeah, button, like, yeah. like what, you know, how many things can I do it in yeah. five minutes, kind of thing. Yeah, that microwave. Uh, so it is, it is breaking those cycles and building new, new habits and new routines around that stuff. Oh, so, 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 so tough. Yeah, um, and especially when you think you're on there being productive. Yeah, know? totally. Like, and so I. I try to take steps like don't like if you DM me and I actually want to talk to you, like I will give you my cell phone number right off the bat. hundred percent. You know, like that's I just a great idea. don't want to be there. You I've know? gotten into that too, where it's like you'll spend five emails trying to line up a 10 minute phone call sometimes or something like that. So now I put my cell phone number, say, call me anytime between two and four yeah. Monday to Friday. Yeah. Like call me anytime. Yeah. I'll and pick up. I'm yeah. Here. It's all good. And yeah. if I miss you, I'll call you right call back. You back. <laughs> well, remember how that used to work? And honestly, you get a lot more done. And and the other thing that's really interesting is that we 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 sort of think that well, that social media or that texting brings us social gratification, but it actually doesn't. It, it like we are we are as humans, we require social interaction to to really to stay alive. There are very few people besides like some some extreme Buddhist monks and things like that who can be in isolation for many years like mm-hmm. You think about jail, the worst place to be in a jail is in isolation. Yeah, in the hole, yeah. And that's because we are psychologically not prepared for that. We're not psychologically designed for that. We need social interaction. Mm. And there's a, but there's a big difference between you and I sitting face-to-face and, and interacting. 
uh, versus texting, mm-hmm. completely different, right? And it's kind of a scale, right? Like we could talk face-to-face, mm-hmm. best case scenario. Mm-hmm. What happens when we're talking face-to-face is like we, we, there's subtle cues that we're not necessarily consciously aware of, but that totally. are happening. Like I'm getting social cues from you. Your mm. pupils are dilating. I'm not like actually right, right, paying right. attention, but these things are happening. Totally, you pay, yeah. Right? Like I, we can tell each other there's like pheromones and hormones and things in the air. There's a body energy, temperature situation. Yeah. There's energy. There's yeah. all sorts of things happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that build, that give us social connection. That's really important. Like it affects our immune system. It affects all sorts of, um, health conditions. Hmm. Um, it affects our psychological and physical well-being in a major way. So, so what's interesting is that this is very important, right? Mm -hmm. And we can replace that with video chat, which is, which is close. We can at least see each other's face. We get some, uh, we get some verbal cues. We can see intonation of the voice, but I I still can't see. There's a bunch of subtle cues I can no longer see. Or even when you walk in a room. Right. When you walk in a room, it affects your uh, immune system. Yeah, isn't what? that interesting? How did how what you just yeah. went way over my head? Well, there, I mean, there's 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 um, there's some some people will say that social isolation is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Like that's based like that's kind of a, a dumbed down summary of some research that's been done. Right. But this is the the kind of idea that if you're really socially isolated, and there's lots of research showing that for men, especially as they start to age. Social isolation is one of the key factors in terms of how long they'll live, whether they'll um, contract disease and or cancers and things like that. Like it's a it's a it's a huge deal. So what you see in society right now is that you know we move to video, and then we move to chat, and you think about chat. Like chat has almost no social interaction value, like the actual physical physiological social interaction we need. Mm-hmm. But we replace a lot of the time we'd spend with humans on our phones, on social media, on chat. And I always mm. think, like, the, the way I think about chat is that a single emoji can have so much emotion I was just gonna say that, in yeah. a chat channel. <laughs> but think about how barren of an environment it is when a little face, like a little cartoon face, can mean so much. Or a little bear or whatever the fuck. Wow. The, that, that's, they can mean so much, and that's how empty that environment is. Right. Right? So, so I just think that what we need to be really aware of, too, as we think about uh, how we're spending our time on, on digital is like, is that replacing time we might actually spend going out with a friend or even on a phone call with somebody we love or somebody close to us mm-hmm. instead of trying to maintain loose relationships with dozens or hundreds of random people that we don't really see or, or care, care about, about that don't know anything about us. Yeah. Like that's that, that, I mean, when I talked about the, the issue around depression and isolation, that's what's going on right now. Right. Right. It's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, just to go back to that emoji thing, like, how, how barren of an environment is it that one emoji could mean so many different things and then how basic that... <laughs> but it could mean anything. It could mean anything. Like how many different types of smiles are there? Yeah. There's like, what, 10 different types of smiles? And then each different type of smile has a different little connotation and you're like, oh, did he mean this? Did she mean this? Like if you're like first seeing a girl and she hits you with a certain type of smile, like you know or you don't know. Totally. You know? <laughs> it's like There's a, a big deal. There's a whole code to it. There's a huge code. Can you, ima- can you imagine though in this environment if I had little faces, like little emojis, <laughs> and I'm holding it up to tell you how I'm feeling, how yeah. ridiculous that would seem? It would seem, yeah, <laughs> barbaric. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, <laughs> so I laugh, right? I laugh when I when I because um, I found you through uh, Business Vancouver, uh, forty under forty. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Uh, also, one of the top growing uh, companies in BC, fastest growing yeah. company in BC. Congratulations, Brightweb is amazing. Thank you. Uh, nature work is unreal. Uh, how the hell does, um, quick sidebar, um, Ollie, is that yeah, it? Ollie, yeah. How, so how does, um, alcohol delivery tie into that? Tie I into look anything? at bright web, nature work, booze. Yeah. hundred percent. What? 
It's interesting because I don't really drink. I, I drink a little bit here and there. All right. Um, but these days I'm like quite pleased being pretty much completely sober. Yeah. Uh, but um, so Ollie came about because a, a very good friend of mine. So one of the guys in my peer group, I'm in a, a peer group with a, a group of guys, uh, other CEOs. And okay, a little light flex, light flex. Oh, he's dope. Oh, he's, <laughs> the kidding. group is dope. The group is dope. And yeah. honestly, anyone can be in a peer group and should try and find a peer group. It's a, it's honestly been a huge uh, learning curve for me, like being around these guys. Yeah. And, and we've, we've really turned into a support group for each other and we learn a lot about each other personally and all that stuff. It's awesome. Nice. Uh, I didn't even think nah, that was a flex, but nah, that's cool. I was just trying to put you on the spot. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, one of the guys in that group, um, he's been in the liquor business for like 20 years, but he's also one of the best dudes I've ever met. Like, okay. and just a, an outstanding entrepreneur. He owns a bunch of restaurants. He owns all sorts of things in town. He owns a distribution company. Oh, wow. he, he owned, uh, he owned Postmark, um, uh, Postmark Brewing. He's like, he owns uh, the wine on tap that you see in all the restaurants. That's his company. Oh, like, the dude is all over the place. These are some serious yeah, CEOs. Yeah. Here. yeah he's okay. hooked up. Yeah. And right. uh, he's done very well. Um, he basically has been in the craft liquor industry now for a bunch of years. He came to me and said, look, there's this huge problem in the craft liquor industry. There's all these awesome young breweries, all these young small companies. They're a complete shit show trying to distribute and sell their booze. If you're a cold beer and wine store right now, like the problem, it, like, so I, I think about, I always use, um, uh, what's the brewery or the, the cold beer and wine store up on Main Street? Uh, brewery Creek. Know. Sure. Um, Brewery Creek is a small uh, cold beer and wine store. Do pretty high volume, but they have a, a, a guy in there. He does works full time, making eighty orders a week from eighty different people now. So the whole industry has changed because craft beer has become so popular. Craft liquor. So it's just kind of like it's a huge problem to solve, and it's all these small companies, um, and they're trying to do something like it's all local, locally based stuff. It's basically replacing these like Labatt and Corona mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Heineken and all these like massive conglomerate brands with local so on the one hand it's booze which is not something i really care about promoting necessarily like right. I, it's part of society and i think mm-hmm. everything in moderation is right fine. totally yeah but i but I, what, what got me interested is the fact that oh yeah this is actually like a ton of craft small businesses this is going to really help connect them so we're building a platform to help connect them and the bars and restaurants and, and cold beer and wine so it is definitely a bit tangential from any everything else i do which has a really clear social impact frame mm, to it yeah but it's still based in social impact but it but it does like i but i had to get my head around that like i, sure. I you know what's interesting is i actually really thought that through when he right. came to me i said i wanted to do something with him because i just think he's such a sharp guy sure and the other and the other founders that are involved are also just super sharp really successful guys so i thought man this is gonna be a neat project i'm gonna learn a lot um and and then I thought through and I said, like, I, I know for myself that if something doesn't have a social impact component, that I will lose interest. Like, I've always, I learned pretty early on that I, I while I enjoy money, I don't do things for money. And if I, if I do them purely for money, doesn't work I out. just drop off. Like, yeah. I just lose interest very quick. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to be, like, I'm like, oh, just two years and I'll make a bunch of money. I, I make it a couple months and I fall, fall out of it. Yeah. So. I really had to think that through because that was that was key for me. Yeah, it was really interesting, man. That threw me a, a complete curveball. Yeah, you know, it's and, totally different. Yeah, and that it, it speaks to your polarity, and I understand that there's there's commonalities there, and that's yeah. that's beautiful. And and, and microbreweries and these different things are actually mm-hmm. amazing. I think that you know, 
long-term goals for me i want to f- own people or own no, not own people not own people <laughs> getting pause, weird pause, 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 edit that one yeah um own, make a mark oh yeah yeah please um own places where people congregate physically because cool. uh, i think it's going to make a huge comeback um 100%. because we've gone so far down a different route and i think that we are still super depressed i think we're gonna get more depressed i think it's gonna get worse yeah like i'm i try to be an optimist but in, in this specific avenue i think that things are going to get worse uh for right now and our technology again is adapting too quickly and we're not adapting to it it's controlling us uh in various ways and so i think that long term the way to find fulfillment because i love business i love impact and i love money too but right like you said, it'll die off. You know, if there's if there's little things like, oh, I'll make it quick this, or, or, or this business can be good for this time. Like, it's just not good. I'm just, you have You, have to, you have to know what motivates you. And some people, exactly. they're purely, motivi- purely motivated by money. And that and that's fine. Like, it's just really what's good for you, right? Exactly. So I'm trying to, to situate myself and think long term. And Okay, what's really going to light a fire for a long time, right? Because I don't like totally. to waste time. I, like, I, I hate I hate pivoting. Like, I, I pivot a lot, but I hate pivoting because I'm like, oh, fuck, that's lost ground. At your age, you should pivot a lot. It's all good. Yeah. Try you know? things out. But I think what you should be thinking about over the next, like, 10 years of your life is what is my personal purpose? What actually drives me and get get work do that work to get down further and further mm-hmm. down into that like i've gone through a few iterations of what is like every every good business goes through a, a process where mm-hmm. they where they figure out what is our purpose like what's the purpose of this company but as individuals we don't really do that that much like mm-hmm. certain individuals do but i think not enough people do i think if people did that more we'd have a lot more people doing important like impactful things in this world to move the world to in a better place as opposed totally. to doing things purely as a way to make income that they're not actually passionate about. Mm-hmm. Like even just, I think there'd just even be more people doing what they're passionate about versus just what gets them paid. Yeah, you know, totally we're moving, <clears throat> I hope that we're moving away from that traditional model. And I think that... I think we are in some ways for sure. There's a lot of interesting things. Like it's a, a crazy time in terms of automation. I think that we're going to yeah. be going through a purpose crisis in... I don't know, 10, 15 years. I think it's... Well, with automation. With automation, essentially. And mm-hmm. and I don't think that people are going to... Yeah, people will lose jobs. Jobs will change. Markets will pivot. Things will, 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 will move. However, people are still going... will find a way to be okay, especially in the Western world. Like, governments and companies will find a way to make sure that people have, you know, money and will be able to live a life that is, you know, somewhat sustained financially. But I think Maybe. that hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. But I think that even if they do, mm-hmm. if things like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a- Andrew Yang, who has a he's running for president of America, uh, president of the United States, yeah, uh, 2020. Yeah, I've seen uh, it. I've watched a bit of his stuff. Dividend, uh, freedom dividend. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. There's lots of people talking about this this idea. It's amazing and and it's really cool. But even with that, okay, so now you'll put money in people. The the concept is you get a thousand bucks a month, uh, just essentially because automation is making our economy more productive. That and then those spillovers come onto you as a citizen. Uh, But so you'll have money, but you won't have that time consumption. So if you don't have that time consumption, you'll have time to think. You'll have time to rethink your purpose. And I think that we're going to have a huge societal shift around purpose. Like, what the hell are we going to do? Mm. What's important? What do I care about? It's not my job anymore. You know, what happens if it's not my job? What do I do if I don't, if that's not the main driver in my life? I don't freaking know. Yeah. You know, that's a huge crisis. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we're going to get over that one. That's the one that scares me. That's interesting. So that's what you think is the worst, like the, the biggest issue in that scenario is is people having to come to terms with 
finding purpose? I, I don't know if it's the biggest. It's it's one that stands out. It's stand. It's uh, the biggest. I want to say it's the biggest. It's it just screams at me. Yeah. It just screams at me louder than anything else. That is else. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how to, how we're gonna deal with that. Yeah. I mean, I I think similarly I, when I think about people are talking about. Um, Basic income is basically like right. he's calling it freedom dividend. And they're doing trials in some spots in Europe right now and thinking about that kind of right. stuff. Um, what's interesting to me is that it's like, okay, we can give people some money, but what does that actually mean? Like, And it's too, it's the same kind of thing you're saying, right? It's like it doesn't actually fulfill you. A, what is a thousand bucks by you? <clears throat> Very little. Like it doesn't pay your rent in most places. Mm-hmm. But, but besides that, like how does that people – you know, we're designed to, we, we are happy when we feel like people rely on us when we have a, a, not necessarily a job that pays us, but a job, like we have something to do that's Mm -hmm. important to us. Like most animals do dogs feel the same way. (laughs) Like they're, they're happiest when they're working, when they're, when there's meaning to what they do, when they get up and they have a hard problem to solve. Like there's lots of research showing that that's when the brain is happiest when it has hard problems to solve. So I, so I think that is really interesting that if people, I mean, already there's so much work though, that doesn't fulfill that, mm-hmm. you know, that isn't, isn't challenging, isn't meaningful, is kind of routine work. So replacing all that work to me, like doesn't really, it offsets money. So that's an issue we got to solve. So, so maybe that some of that maybe will solve that, that right? Is, yeah. 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 So you said right now, like we have, this is an issue that already exists. Insert social media, insert substance abuse. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Well, there's always been substance abuse, but there's, like we're just in a funny time when when busyness is what people strive for, but there was eras where busyness was was like a, was a synonym for unhappiness. Right. Right. Like right. when when if you didn't have time to think and to wander and and have big thoughts and stuff like that, you were living a really bad life. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and now even 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 some of the most successful people still remain exceptionally busy, even though they don't have to. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting condition. It's it's very interesting, and it's interesting because you talk so much about creating space in in life and work and, and in that balance and interpersonal relationships. You want to double back a little bit here because I'm a little stuck. You said that as a young person, you, sh- you should focus on what I'm totally twisting your words uh, lights your fire, right? So ever since everyone says find your passion, like yeah, it's a little cliche, but like what what truly motivates you on a deep level and will motivate you for a long time? What's part of your character that can play into a larger narrative? In turn, you can enter a workforce that fulfills that, or or find an occupation mm-hmm. or whatever it is that fulfills that I and will burn it yeah. for a long time, right? I don't think that's the only thing you should do, but yeah, okay. I think that's part of it. Part of it, right? Yeah. So what did it, what did young Steve Rio think? What do you mean? What did I think about what? When you were 16, 19. I thought w- I was going to be a rock star. Sweet. Like, I thought I was going to be a musician. Right. I didn't, I didn't really care necessarily about being a rock star, but I, I cared a lot about music. I loved music. You still do. Yeah, no, I still do. And I, I, there will be a time in my life when I make a lot more music. But yeah. um, shout out, you can check out my solo album on Spotify. Plug, actually. plug, plug. plug, plug. <laughs> I'm going to get my streams up. Let's no, go. I'm just kidding. I did that album like a decade ago. But... Um, more than a decade ago. But uh, yeah, I thought I was going to make music for the rest of my life. Like yeah. I, I picked up a guitar when I was 12 years old. There's actually photos of me as a little kid with toy guitars rocking out mm-hmm. on them. But I, but I picked up a guitar at 12 years old and really didn't put it down again until I was like 
1920. Like I, there's in my house when I was growing up as a teenager, I'd come home and I'd put strap my guitar and I just walk around the house with it all day long. Yeah. Like all I really did was make music. Right. I was organizing when I was in grade eight, we were renting out Dunbar community center and organizing shows with other bands and organize, like I was organizing my own shows and putting out flyers, talking about flyers, like, yeah. doing all that. Like I was the CEO of my bands before I was the CEO of anything else. Right. right. So, but music was always my thing. And then when I was uh, in, when I turned, when it was about 20 or so, I got a copy of Photoshop from a friend. Oh, like big time. bootleg copy of Photoshop. And I was going to make, because I wanted to make my own album covers. Right. Right. And I started messing around with, well, actually, I hadn't started messing around with Photoshop. I was playing a show in uh, Blunt Brothers, which used to be a pot cafe down on Hastings. Sweet. Like old, way before any of this stuff was legal. <laughs> but, um, it was like a big public thing, but um, and I was playing a show there, and I was hanging out with the owners after in their office, and I was looking at a copy of High Times, and I saw their ad in oh, wow. High Times magazine, <clears throat> and I've always been somebody who can sell stuff before I can do it kind of thing, like, I'm pretty good at that, and I looked at the ad, and I thought, this is pretty ugly, like, the design was terrible, right. and I said, you know, how much did you pay for this, and, you know, I think I could probably do this better for you. And so I said, what did you pay for it? And I, I basically said, well, I'll do it for half of that, yeah. which I think was a couple thousand bucks or a thousand bucks. And right. I was 20 years old or something. And I was, yeah, big money. I was like, whoa, they said yes to that. Yeah, yeah. But I actually hadn't opened Photoshop yet. So, <laughs> so I then went home and opened Photoshop and started learning how to use it and playing around with it and did my first full page ad for like a major national magazine Unreal. and started doing that. So I started getting into design and, and having fun with that. And then I and then somebody said, "Oh, can you code a website?" This was like early days of HTML, and uh, and somebody said, "Can you code us a website?" And I was like, "Yeah, for sure, totally yeah, can." Got you. And then I went home and I started learning how to code, like and yeah. and figuring out how to code HTML, and and um, then I and and then there was a few years where I was making music. I had a home studio, and this was a great great for me because I was able to. I think I was I only had a couple real jobs, and they and they didn't last long. But like I was able to quit. I was working at TD Bank at the time, and I, I was able to quit that what? and start. Yeah, I was a teller for like three months. Oh my um, gosh! I was great at talking to people and not great at like Anything keeping else. track of all the details. Their was, money. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, basically, um, I was able to work from home. I had a lot more flexibility. I was suddenly able to charge a bit more. I was starting to make some money, like not real money, but like a little money. Um, and and then there was like and I was still making music, but then there was starting to be a transition. Like I got more and more into design and 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 digital, and and coding and stuff like that. It started to be like a really fun hobby. Like it was really exciting to me and creative and all this stuff. And at the same time, I was going through this period where it's like, well, the kind of music I really like to make isn't really popular music. So right. it's never going to be. This is like punk rock. Well, that was one of the bands I was in. I was in like a punk metal band. Yeah. I was also doing a bunch of kind of weird jazz stuff. I was doing pretty avant-garde music, Sick. like a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. I also produced a bunch of rap and stuff like that. But I never, I always like, I was like, I'm never going to rap because I'm white and I'm just not, <laughs> I was just never that into that. Like I was yeah. never into that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, that's probably what I, if I could have got my head around that, I probably would have been in like a white rapper. Sweet luckily i never that's did so, that so thank gangster. god um, what are you talking about i'm actually disappointed <laughs> no, i think point. that's all right but but at the time it didn't feel right and uh um so anyway there was just a transition point around my 20s where i was like you know what i think music is not going to be my career it's not what i'm passionate about i was starting to make a bit more money doing the other stuff and it was like a natural 
mm-hmm. kind of wind down period. Sure. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, you know what? Um, I should bike down to Tijuana. That's what I should do. That <laughs> makes sense now, right? Is that where, where in the timeline up. is that? You dug that up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the full story of that real quick. I'll tell this short no, version. But tell it long, man. I want to hear. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. So this is around 2006, 2007. Uh, YouTube had just come out. YouTube came out in 20, 2006 or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, a little bit, stepping back a little bit before that, I had also, during that time, gotten involved. I was hanging around the Blunt Brothers guys a lot and around that scene a lot. There's there's some stuff going on down there that wasn't exactly like above bar. Yep. I got into some stuff and I basically ended up in a bunch of debt. Like I, um, I maxed out some credit cards. That I took a loan on the bank and I basically gave that money to someone to try and do something and that went bad. Didn't, didn't go, so yeah. so I ended up in a bunch of debt um through my early 20s. And um like like 40 50 grand oh, worth of shit. debt. Oh shit. Yeah, like um and it was mostly credit card debt so it was like really high, high interest. interest. Yeah, like really bad. And um and also like I didn't tell anybody about it cuz I was really embarrassed and it, it was like just a dumb move right. and it went it just happened fast. And uh so my parents didn't know. Nobody knew. My girlfriend, I don't even think, knew at the time. Like, it was a real secret for me. So what was interesting is I was working my ass off, mm-hmm. doing all this, starting to do web and design stuff, making okay money, but, like, just paying down interest payments every month, like, yeah. a couple grand. Like, I was paying way more on my credit card than I was in rent. Like, it was kind of crazy. And so that went on for a few years, and I kind of reached a point where, like, there was a, just had to be a breaking point. Something had to change, Something had to go, right? yeah. And and then at the same time, I was going through basically a messy breakup, and I was feeling like I was. It was interesting. I was with a a woman who was a lovely person and taught me a lot about life. She was a bit older than me, but also was was messing with my head. Like like I just I was in a weird space mentally. I didn't have a lot of friends anymore. I just was in a. It just was. I was not feeling confident in myself. And I was also in all this debt. So everything was just kind of, I felt like things were sort of falling apart. Mm-hmm. So I ended up breaking up with her, moving out. We were, we were living together. I moved back into my parents' basement for a bit. And I was just really depressed. Like, and I didn't really have friends. And I felt like, man, I got to go somewhere. I got to get out. Like, I have no money. Like, how am I going to go anywhere? Mm-hmm. I was literally like just tapping down like a couple grand a month in interest payments just to keep my credit card from fully shutting down kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. And so it was, um, I don't even know where the idea came from. I had never biked anywhere in my whole life. Like I had a, I didn't have a good, like I had a mountain bike that I'd had since high school. I know my dad had done some like bike to a Soyuz a couple times. So I knew, I guess somehow in my head, I knew you could bike places, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, and I was reading some, some trippy book, like maybe, um, on the road or, or like a Jack Kerouac book or some classic sort of traveler hippie book sweet and i guess i put those two things together and i got this idea you know what i'm gonna bike down the coast yeah of course and i'm just gonna do that on my mountain bike on on a mountain bike like i didn't even know that that was a crazy bike to use because you had you didn't know anything about bikes. like i didn't know anything about bikes honestly this is a bike yeah like i told my folks i was like you know what i'm gonna go on this bike trip and i'm gonna leave in two weeks and uh, and my dad looks at me like i'm totally insane he's like well have you have you 
have you worked out? Have you done any bike? I'm like, well, I jog a bit and stuff like that. It's totally different muscle groups, but I think, yeah, I can, I'm jogging. I'm going to be great. Cardio. Yeah. I do some cardio. (laughs) And so he's like, well, you should like do some bike rides and test this out and get your leg muscles up. You're going to die out there kind of thing. He's like, he showed me how to change a tire on a bike. I'd never done that. Like I'd never done anything. I never maintained a bike at all. Right. Well, shout out to dad. First off. Yeah. Shout out to dad for giving me some life tips and telling me I was an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but not enough to make me stop. But he, but he honestly, he like he 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 showed me how to put the bags on your bike, like and rig your bike up. And then partway through that, like I was planning to go, I was actually just planning to tent all the way down. I was right. going to have a tent on the back of the thing. I rigged up my bike; it weighed like a hundred pounds with all the stuff I had on it. So tough. It was crazy. That's so tough. <laughs> it was crazy. Hundred pounds. It was yeah. like yeah. Um, yeah. I ditched a bunch of stuff pretty quick, and I got it down to about seventy-five pounds. But um, still outrageous. It was, it was totally outrageous. Um, but then partway through that, um, my friend was like, hey, there's this new thing called couchsurfing.com. And I don't know if you've ever heard of couchsurfing. Yeah, a little bit. But it's like it was like this early social network where people put their place online and you could stay with people. You could like, you know, create a profile. And it's like Airbnb without the money. Yeah. It's like, let me crash with you kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll see you. But it was super early. It was really big in Europe, but barely barely yeah. in, in North America. So I found somebody in... in um, san francisco i think and portland and nice. and and like a couple key cities along the way but there's like dozens of stops in between there um at the time myspace was still a thing like this is i'm dating myself here but like myspace was the social network at the time i was playing in bands and i was kind of a like and there was all these tools you could spam people with as a band if you were on tour so i, I found this tool and i was like hey what if i reach out to people in each of these cities i'll find a zip code in each of these cities and i'll email a ton of people in each of these cities and I'll ask them if I can come stay at their house. Yeah. And and YouTube was really early so I put a video of me on online going Sweet. Hey, I'm Steve. I'm not no crazy. Way. Like I'm going on this I was like going on this spiritual journey and you know I said a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and I was like I'm going on this trip and uh I'm looking to connect with with people and I need places to stay. So I put a video on and then I used this this tool that was designed for bands to tell people about their tour dates kind of thing and i emailed a whole bunch of people i basically set it on auto like it it like spanned a bunch of people in each city (laughs) in all these zip codes overnight um and i woke up the next morning and i had like 500 emails back from people like all these random people and people were just like yeah for sure like come crash in my house back when you could hack the internet it was so random and uh it was really interesting for me because like leading up to that I think part of me in my mind was I'm just going to bike until I die. Like I'm just going to go and I'm never coming back sort of thing. Like I wasn't actually suicidal, right. but I was in a dark place and I didn't really, it was, it was yeah. a pretty dark thing. Like yeah. I just needed to get out, yeah. you know, it wasn't yeah. exciting that I was yeah. going on this bike trip necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I got all these emails and it was like a complete 180. And I was like, holy crap. Like look at all of these people that want to welcome me into their home and, it was just a totally different trip. Mm. So, so I, I basically like had a couple days left before I was going to leave. So I started emailing people back and going through all these profiles and trying to weed, weed out like who should I stay with and, you know, just whatever, just right. randomly pick people yeah. and line up people say, I'm coming on this date. Will you be there? Can I stay there? And I made a, like a spreadsheet and I kept track of everybody. And then I got on my bike and, and took off. Like I remember, th- I will never forget the day I left my house and was going to bike to my sister's place in Deming, Washington. And that first day, man, my legs were <laughs> like so sore. 
they, they got to the point where they were basically completely seized up. My upper, my, my thigh muscles were completely seized up. Like I was lying on the side of the road. My muscles felt like I was deadlifting a thousand pounds. Like that's the amount of pressure they felt. Cause I, I could barely move them. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. The first day was crazy. And then I got to my sister's house. I ditched the, a bunch of stuff. I was like, I can't carry all this stuff. Yeah. Then the next day I went from her house to Seattle and, and the first couple of sets of my trip i hadn't really figured out the distances my dad had told me like you really got to work out the distances really think about your route and i was not listening yeah of course so i go try to go from there to seattle which is way too far i I can't remember the distance of that but it's a couple hundred kilometers and like by the end of my trip i was doing 150 150 kilometers in a day that's pretty good by the end of my trip but like my my legs barely fit my jeans. Like I was like a different person, person within a few time. weeks. Like I was working every day. Yeah. So the first couple of days were crazy. And and some Jesus. some like some dude in a pickup truck picked me up and he told me that a crow had told him he was gonna pick somebody up today. He was a total crazy person. Uh. But like I had all these wild adventures. Like I met different people in every place and um and it was just a totally unreal trip. And I and I wasn't I didn't I didn't drink on that trip. I didn't I was basically eating super clean. I was meditating every day. I completely transformed the way I thought about life on that trip. Mm. I thought I had a lot of time to think. I mean, I, talk about, you know, creating space and stuff like that. Like I would get on my bike in the morning and I would be alone for eight hours biking and I'm sweating and, you know, you got like all sorts of good energy. Like your body is really happy. It's, it's, it's getting yeah, it's a moving. sweat on and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I'm just alone with my thoughts. At the time, you know, I had a little MP3 player with like eight albums on it, you know? Sorry. What albums? Sorry, pause. I don't remember. No. There's definitely like one or two rap albums, but I'm trying to remember which ones it would have been at that time. What Did, year are we at? 2007. I don't remember, to uh. be honest. The only album I do remember was on there was Citizen Cope, who was like this kind of... I don't know what, how to describe them, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, okay. but, but it was, but anyway, I just had a tremendous amount of time to think and, mm-hmm. and to think things through and to figure, figure out what I was going to do. Yeah. Um, and then when you got to Tijuana and it was like a transformational trip, I biked right down the coastline, which is unbelievably beautiful. Like the whole time I was planning this trip, it never occurred to me that I was going down one of the most beautiful coastlines in the world. Yeah. You know, like all those kind of things. Yeah. You just don't think about but it. The, and the whole trip, like it just magically happened and worked. And mm-hmm. it, it barely, it didn't, it rained, I think one day of the whole trip. And this was in April, May kind of timing. So yeah. like, this is a time when the Oregon coast should be foggy and raining almost every and day. Shitty, yeah. I had one day, I got hit by a car once, but oh it was, God. but not super bad. The trip went like, perfect. Except I, got hit by a car. I got hit by a car one day, but like other than, and it was a minor thing and I didn't get wiped out. And, and other than that, like I popped a couple tires, but I was able to fix them on the road. Like other than that, really nothing bad happened. I no. stayed with strangers in every single city. You were good. In some cities, like I, I for a while I was like, I'm going to pick people who kind of look like moms and like people who are going to help me do laundry and like maybe cook me food and I have no money. Like, yeah. so I picked people that looked really safe and, and would take care of me. And then a few of them, I just thought, man, that's a really random dude to have written me back. Like I wrote a really heartfelt email and this weird trucker dude writes me back from uh, Lincoln city, Oregon. And a picture of him is like in his black overalls with his big rig behind him. Yeah. And he writes me back. And I'm like, I'm going to stay with that guy okay, and see what's Steve, going on with this guy. Safe, yeah. yeah. But, but, but people like that, like he turned out to be one of the nicer people I ever met. He, he, he insisted on picking me up at this city, um, city limits and, and drive me in. He's like, my neighborhood's pretty bad. He's like, my neighbors are crackheads and 
you know, he was like, it was a rough area and, and he's like, yeah, I know we're white trash, but we're, I'm okay. We're, like, good. we're okay. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. It was kind of wild though. We rolled up to his place and <laughs> he, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm glad you're here and I'd love to have a beer with you and just hang out with you on the porch kind of thing. So I hung out with him for a bit and he's like, well, I got to go to work. I drive truck all night, but you can stay in my shed out back. Oh God. <laughs> and he had oh, set up, God. he had set up the shed where he could go sleep during the day because he had kids running around like the, the house oh. was full of him, him and his sister-in-law and his kids and they had blind cats and like ferrets oh, and goldfish man, and crazy. like wife is is a very large woman sitting there with a tv tray watching television chain smoking entire time i'm there inside Did the, sun the house wrap at all or no 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 is this M&M's no there's no there's no m&m <laughs> vibes there like kids were kind of you know it was it was intense but but we go back to this little shed and the shed i look at it as we're walking to it, i'm like oh this thing locks from the outside <laughs> oh shit <laughs> right as a shed might right yeah. but um he's like yeah you can sleep back here you won't get bothered by anybody and it's all good i'm thinking okay I'm putting my my trust in the universe right now, and I'm, this is this is what's happening. Yeah, I, you know, like, and for every story like that, I also had beautiful stories where I'd stay with you know this woman and her and her daughter, and they took me to a street fair, and wow. we had this like lovely day roaming around like Santa Barbara and yeah. and, and, and and hanging out with Amanda Panda, her daughter, and you Amanda know, like, Panda. yeah, like all these little <laughs> things, right? Yeah. Um, but there was also some pretty unique things that happen some hectic along the shit way. that happened along yeah. the way uh that's pretty cool you um you're the second guy in a couple of episodes here that uh did a impromptu trip down to tijuana no way yeah we had uh julian who founded chasing sunrise who actually he started oh yeah the hypothesis of me thinking about the purpose crisis uh julian's an amazing individual and he what's this thing called uh chasing sunrise cool uh very cool that's a company that's very much ahead of its time and in, in its infancy as well, um, that are probably going to address that purpose crisis, which is very cool. Cool. Um, anyways, and this one time he was in Vancouver and just put on his Facebook group that was called Chasing Sunrise at the time, a couple, I don't know how many members it was, and was like, hey, I'm going to Tijuana. You guys want to come? And they just, he just dropped everything four days, went down to Tijuana to get tacos. He's like, I want tacos. Let's go oh, so tacos. he drove there? He drove there. Okay. So he didn't bike. So actually, oh my God. A little different. Now that I'm just, yeah totally different that's dope though. that's a cool cool story vlogged it, all that stuff amazing and and, and connected a, with people and, yeah. and that was cool uh and then we had another podcast guest damn we've been doing this podcast for a while this is exciting what number are you on you might 35 34 36 i don't nice. know we're a couple ahead we just released 32 but we're a couple of weeks ahead yeah so okay i, I don't know uh, we had another guy uh, named Lucky who did a uh, a bike down to San Francisco and back so, uh, for for cancer research for his uh, for his girlfriend never biked a day in his life. Yeah. You would love him. Oh my gosh! Cool. Um, anyways, super 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 sidebar. Yeah. Um, but that's always fun to connect the dots like that. Uh, I'm yet to do a um, a hero's journey myself. Yeah, man. Um, but I think I'd love to do another one. Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to do another one. What's the one? next one? Well, I've always had this uh, idea of biking from uh oslo in norway all the way down through europe around the coast of france and into morocco like to go right through there like that's a big trip that's a much bigger trip Um, over a couple months yeah like it would it would take well well yeah it's funny because i've talked to my wife about it and i'm like yeah i think i gotta do it alone because if i want i know once i get on the bike i'm not gonna want to stop like i'm gonna i just want to get up and go every day like i don't and then maybe we can double back and sightsee all those places. But I, 
like it was interesting once i got into the rhythm of riding like once you get into that your body just wants to go so i that's why i didn't really drink on the trip i'd have a beer here and there but like i didn't want to party much i partied on my birthday i definitely partied on my birthday (laughs) Uh, i was at a wild party in san francisco in some tech millionaires like four-story house with this pool in the middle like you could see all four stories were wrapped around this indoor pool right and it was just totally wild right the type of stories you just brush over this these things just <laughs> happen man like i actually forgot about that till i just said it but um i didn't want to lie about not drinking at all <laughs> but um but but like once you get into that rhythm you just want to go like yeah. your body just wants to go i just remember feeling like every morning i get up and my body was like get on the bike and start riding you yeah. know and just yeah. there's a really nice feeling to that and a nice rhythm to that so so that's that's something i think about i've also as i've gotten a little older gotten more into the idea of doing a walking trip oh. like i always have thought that that pace feels just a little too slow like i don't know if i can hack it walking's pretty slow but but the truth is the 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 more i spend time wandering and walking and thinking the more i realize what a gift that would be to be able to spend a month walking or or, you, or two months where walking where would you or, walk to i don't know somewhere nice like wherever, yeah, like, through matter. through somewhere nice to somewhere nice, yeah. right? Well, there's a lot of nice places. Like in a, the world. a lot of it is actually just about the trip. Tijuana was a destination because it was Mexico, right? Like right. it was a, a dart border uh, city. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's it just a dart. Um, mm-hmm. Originally, it was L.A. and then partly through, I'm like, nah, I'm going all the way because I'm close enough. I might as well go. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it was more about the journey than it was. The Very cool. Your whole life seems it seems like it's been more about the journey. Um, that's what life should be about though. Right. Like that's, that's actually what our life is. Our life is this moment right now, hanging out with one another right now in this conversation, right? Like our future self and our past self is right here with us right now. And if we're not, if we're not able to create moments like this, not every moment's going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you got to do shit that's not fun, but if you're not, if you're not optimizing for, for your, your, how your day is and how your week is, then then you're kind of missing the point, I think. Life is just a collection of moments. It is, really. I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I hypothesize is about that this like all the time. like a Bob Dylan line or something? I don't know, man. My mom probably told L- me that Lizzie Vert line? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get those two mixed up a lot. Yeah, Bob Dylan and Lil Uzi Vert. You know how it is. Uh, two of my favorite artists, you know? Yeah. No biggie. <laughs> I've, been through, I've been through both. So it's all good. What are you listening to right now? What, what am I listening to? <laughs> what are you listening to right now? Lil Uzi? No, no, no. No, I'm not listening to Lil Uzi um, too much. Uh, my guilty pleasure right now is nice. uh, Juice World. I'm really oh. into Juice World. Oh, really? He's really poppy, but he's actually really enjoyable. And he's got some good songwriters and stuff. That's and amazing. So I'm into Juice World. Um, What's your substance? What's your meat and potatoes? Well, so I basically listen to two types of music these days. It's either purely ambient stuff like very very ethereal things like that yeah yeah like i have there's a playlist on spotify i've made uh, nature of work it's called nature of work ambient but it's basically a collection of um yeah just really ethereal type stuff that i listen to actually quite often now even when i'm driving or doing stuff where i might otherwise be usually used to listen to just rap almost all the time Mm -hmm. now i put that on a lot because i find it just lowers my my energy a lot and keeps me a lot more centered i listen to um uh, a bunch of crystal bowl music there's a great album by a local guy named uh, colin hillstrom and it's basically um have you seen crystal bowls before no i have not basically they're like these these um 
glass crystal bowls and you use a mallet and you can basically get them vibrating and they're all different notes and frequencies. And you can do sound baths. Have you ever heard of a sound bath before? No, I feel so ignorant so right now. So sound bath is you'll have, like, you'll have these set up and you'll all lie around in the room and these vibrations are going, you can feel the vibrations in your body. Like some of the drum, some of the bowls are really big. Wow. But anyway, I listen to some, like a bunch of trippy cool. stuff like that. And then I listen to rap and R&B. So I listen to a lot of um, black right dope, now. Dope. I listen to a lot of, uh, um, I'm really into like, I'm trying to think of the rap. I'm listening to the new 2 Chains a lot. Yeah, great album. Uh, it's a great album. I mean, especially those first few cuts are for just sure. so dope. For sure. Um, big fan of Meek. Yes. Uh, who else right Say now? Say something I disagree with, man. Come on. <laughs> like Late Great Nipsey. Like a lot. I late listen to a, lo- a lot of Nipsey Hustle. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. I just, um, when I was in LA, I went and uh, just visited uh, Crenshaw and Slauson and just, just spent some time there and hung out there. Um, just to, just to, yeah, pay respects on that. And, um, who else right now? Yeah. That's probably some stuff that I'm listening to right now. My playlist is pretty flooded by Nipsey right now. Yeah. It's, it's, you know what? I couldn't actually like when, when I heard the news, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to him for the first bit, but now I'm like, now it's ratcheting up and I'm listening to a lot. It's, it's actually, I don't normally get affected by this. Me neither, man. People I don't know. I'm not usually, it's like, okay, well that's life. Like I actually think that life comes and goes and that's sort of People how it die, is like kind of have it a, is. but but Nipsey was just doing a lot of good work and oh, and man. and he was just on on a really and you see the I mean you see how much response he's getting from crazy. when when the when the when Obama writes a letter when the head of the LAPD says publicly that uh, a known rolling 60s crip was doing great things in the community like that that's what tells you that yeah. That, that shit was it's different real. with Nipsey. And dude, yeah, sure on the street level, but you know, you talk about things like Vector 90, you talk about, you know, how many pieces of property you could have bought that wasn't Crenshaw's Lawson. You talk yeah, about I know. his I know. whole thing. He's was one of the very access. few people that stayed stayed in his hood. His whole thing was providing access. Yeah, I know 100%. Whole, and, and that's what killed him, you know. 100%. So anyways, I don't mean to go off on a tangent. Yeah, no, that's but a, it's it, it's crazy that it's, uh, it's brutal. Yeah. And uh, we've had a couple podcasts since this happened, and it's—I uh, wouldn't think you'd be the first one to bring it up, but you know what? That's awesome. I, I love it. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of parallels there, a 100%. ton of parallels there. Yeah. Um, that's dope. I love that you're a hip hop fan. That's—I—I I, I got a huge smile on my face. You know what? You know what I, yeah, when I mentched that to you, <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What?" <laughs> Excuse me. I was like, "Let's talk about rap. Let's talk about rap." <laughs> See, like my my best buddies that we talk about rap. They now, one of them lives in Victoria. One of them lives down in LA. Um, my bro- Well, my brother lives down in LA. Um, and my other buddy's in, in town, but I'm on Bowen. So we ne- so sometimes what we're, we're, we've tried to do is basically get on a Zoom call or a video call Sweet. and do like album listens together. Hey. So once in a while, it doesn't happen that often because we're all so busy, but we actually wanted to do it with the two chains, but we didn't do it. But, yeah. but it's like when a, we know a, a really good albums, of course I listen to, I guess Kendrick, I listen yeah. to, there's a whole bunch of other yeah, people. Of course. But when, when an album like that comes out, we say, okay, nobody listened to it. Let's all get together together. Yeah. Let's all get a drink or get a blunt whatever or whatever you're into. Let's go. And like, let's all put on headphones and rock it together. Cause we, cause actually the first time we ever did that years ago when, when, um, watch the throne came out and, oh, and I got, you did that with watch the throne. Yeah. And I got the crew together Damn. in my house and oh, we were, and this is when Lord. we all worked together, and we had big speakers set up, and we banged that album, <laughs> and that album was so fire when it came out. Like it when was it came so out, was so fire today. I, I mean, look it, out yeah. that album every day. Yeah. I swear to God. Totally. Oh my God. <laughs> the other thing, 
<laughs> that was such a such a rad experience that we've tried to recreate it a few times. It's hard to do, but yes. the other thing that I'm kind of into, and actually it's funny that my wife is more into it than I am, is is some of the more like um, what's it called, like trap core and and like um, oh, what's it called, like Tiller. Do you know what it's called? Black. Do you know what she listens to? No, no, like Scarlord. Like no uh, it's called like it's basically it's basically like punk trap. It's basically like screamo trap. Oh shit. Um, if you listen to it, it, it sounds like it's it's fully distorted screamo vocals over oh. giant trap beats. And if you look at the concerts, they are the closest thing to like 70s, 80s punk Sweet. shows, like crazy mosh pits. But anyway, I listen to a bit of that stuff too. Sweet. Yeah. That uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Yeezus. Just with the Yeezus just... was picking up on that a little bit, but and yeah. and this is now. It's kind of like you you seen the way the young rap crowd like the young rappers now they're basically back into grunge and rock and yeah. rap or, yeah. or sorry like kind of grunge rap and pop punk look punk, sorry yeah. right and so this there's a whole there is a genre of music that is straight up punk rap yeah. kind of basically. which is like it's it's cool it's innovative like yeah, yeah. No, I love it's it. actually pretty fun it's great workout music like it'll get you noted super get you noted. swole get you super yeah, get you swole Steve. i said it i sent it to my homie and he and he just sent me a photo of him in the gym like just going nuts because uh, he was just so pumped on it that's perfect you know what that's yeah. that's gonna be the youtube one-liner right there steve rio on how to get swole yeah scar lord <laughs> listen to lots of scar lord let's go um dude okay i gotta transition because i've been trying to get to it to it for a minute but mm-hmm. i i really i'm really inspired by bright web nice um arguably more inspired by nature of work i haven't figured it out yet it's okay they're like they're really cool dude i don't know how you can to, like how both else to put it I, you know <laughs> um i'll try not to blow too too much smoke but it's gonna happen anyways like there, there's parallels in life and you talk about finding things that lights a fire underneath your ass and all those things you're touching yeah. whether it's human psychology business social impact uh human optimization those are the things that i'm just trying to touch like yeah so finding a person like I went through that whole, I'll be honest with you, I went through that whole business in Vancouver 40 under 40. And I was like, ah, that's cool. Supplement company, this, you know, um, interactive technology here, virtual reality here. This is cool. And then I found BrightWeb and I was like, whoa, you know, and nice. it changed my perspective on like, oh, there's actually, because I'm still trying to, I feel like I'm, tr- I'm looking, I'm always looking for North Stars. And right. I'm always looking for people that have put the pieces together that I'm trying to put together. And mm-hmm, I had these mm-hmm. different pieces in my head where I'm like, how does this connect with this, connect with this, connect with this? And then it all works to my strengths and something I can pursue. I haven't nice. figured out ethical investing kind of does it for me in a way, but there's a certain level of digital that's not there anyways. And so I found BrightWeb and I'm like, oh, this is this is completely next level. This is where we should be. And this is this is groundbreaking and then i and then I, I went deep on that and then i was like oh hold on but he's missing something and exactly what you're missing is everything you did with nature of work right so what came first was it nature of work or was it bright web no bright web has been around for, for a long time right for quite a while yeah it looks it's very very polished and i know yeah. that i know that nature but it nature it, works like brand new brand new so yeah. i say that in that like nature uh, bright web looks like a um, a very well-functioning, you know, polished business and nature of work. When I looked at, it, I was like, "Oh, someone's being extremely thoughtful about this." So I thought, "Okay, maybe that could have developed slower, but on the on the back burner for right. a long period of time." Because yeah. BrightWeb is like a machine, you know, like yeah, like yeah, BrightWeb. I started basically in 2011, mm-hmm. um, and I had an agency before that. And I, I guess in that in that experience, I realized that I wanted to be doing social impact focused right. work, um, and I didn't know what that meant exactly at the time. Like at the time, 
when we started that in 2011, nobody social impact was not really a thing no. yet. Like it definitely wasn't a mainstream thing. And the idea of a social venture, I had never heard Didn't that exist. term. That term was like not on the radar. Yeah. Um, David Suzuki was still outcasted and <laughs> this type of shit, you know? Right. Um, who's now one of our like uh, bigger clients in Canada, which is dope. You um, work with David Suzuki? Yeah, we do a ton of work with David Suzuki Foundation. Yeah, so that's, that's dope. What's so wild is that nobody... Uh, I'll get back to the point, but nobody in the States, because most of our clients are in the U.S., right. um, nobody in the U.S. knows who David Suzuki is. No way. Where he's like just a guy we all grew up on, like a name we all, you know, I'm like even your demographic, like a lot of people don't know who he is, but that's dope. It's, it's very true. Oh, I, I grew up on Hornby. So yeah, you grew up on Hornby. Yeah, so you're, I, you're all over I, it. I, trust me, I know who David yeah. Suzuki is. Yeah. But anyway, I, I started that company just thinking, oh, I want to do something social impact, because actually at my previous agency, whenever we did we did little pro bono work. We were like more of corporate agency. And when we did pro bono stuff though, for like a local community nonprofit or something like that, I would end up doing tons of hours on it and just get super mm-hmm. excited about it. Mm-hmm. And, and there was one organization called sisterhood, which used to be like a, a, a female rap festival in Vancouver. This is, this is, this sick. is a deck, like almost a decade. Well, it was a decade ago. I don't even know how they pulled that off, but they would have like Rhapsody and folks like you know, people like that come up and, and all sorts. It was like pretty hippied out, but, but, like, but anyway, it was pretty dope. But I just remember working with them and my friend Anna Hillier, who, who was running them at the time and just spending a lot of time realizing, oh, like, look at how energi- energized I feel by this. Right. And I remember having a realization going, man, I'm going to work a lot of hours in my life. Of course. And uh, if I'm going to work a lot of hours, I better be doing something that I'm passionate about. And so I, I, I left my half of the agency, uh, my previous agency to my partner and spun up Brightweb like right after that, basically. Where's the name come from? Honestly, I had, after, shortly after I left my last company, um, I didn't have a name. I went to this conference and I met the, the founder of the conference. I ended up going on a walk with the founder of the conference. And I remember in my mind going, oh shit, this is the founder of the conference. He's asking me all these questions. It was actually a nonprofit social impact tech conference. So it was like a real eye opener for me being there. Like it was, it was called web of change. It still exists today. But I remember seeing the term web of change and I'm like, oh, I'm into web. Oh, and I'm changing. (laughs) I'm going to go to that. Like that's literally my thought process. And I, and I show up at this conference and anyway, I end up on this walk with the, with the founder, um, who's a friend of mine to this day, an awesome guy, Jason. And, um, I remember walking up the trail with him from one building to the other. This is up on Cortez Island actually. And, uh, yeah, up at Hollyhock. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I remember him asking me a bunch of questions and be going, man, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. (laughs) You know, it's like, I was going through a bit of a identity crisis because at that time when you're, I was young and, and. You know, I have a name badge and it doesn't have a company on it. I just left my company. It was like, I just had a Gmail account. I, now that's kind of a normal thing. At the time, I felt like, I don't know. I just felt like, man, I don't know who I am. Yeah, right? it had or, to be Steve. I don't know, what, I don't know what I do yeah. even, right? Like, So I was talking to him anyway. A week later, he offered me this insane gig and actually going back to like things that you do where you have no idea what how to do it. He offered me this gig to over- organize a, um, a media center, basically a physical center at uh, the UN climate conference. So it'd be offsite as a place where people could come edit video and do talks and um, collaborate where all the biggest NGOs in the world could come and have their like media and communications people meet up. And this was in Copenhagen. And, uh, and he's like, do you want to do this thing? Do you want to run this thing? I think you'd be great for this. And I'm like, yes. How old are you? Um, 
I would have been 29. Yeah, I would have been 29 when that happened. Yeah. Um, I would have just turned 29. And so he offered me this gig, and I was like, holy shit, yes, uh, sounds great. I had no idea how I was going to do that. I've never, I'd never done anything. I'd organized, like, my own concerts. Like, I'd never organized this. Anyway, I needed a name because I needed to incorporate. And so I, I, I don't know, like, within a couple of days, like, that week, I picked a name, got incorporated, wow. set up the bank account. And, and And then I flew to Spain to do the first part of that thing, and then I flew to New York. I was, like, right into this project right away. So it was kind of like, all right. So that was in 2009. So I did. So basically, I did my first project with Brightweb, and then I came back from there. And in January, I actually started working with a friend on the Cheaper Show, which was a massive art show in Vancouver that ran for. I ran it for its ninth and its tenth year, and then it and then it wrapped up. But it was wow. like it was a massive art show. So I actually did that small project with Brightweb, then took a break and worked on um, this art show for two years as the executive director. Basically, this show had been growing like crazy, but they had no incorporation they had no like we got the nonprofit status they had no corporate sponsors mm-hmm. besides getting some free beer and stuff like and it was like 8000 people came to the show in Crazy. one night in one night and no co- it was insane sponsors. it was like this yeah. my friends had pulled together this unbelievable show but they they needed somebody with a bit of more of a business mind totally i was still rough around the edges but i pulled a bunch of shit together and so oh, i did yeah. that for a couple of years and then i came back in 2011 and got Brightweb back. Like that's when I started working on building Brightweb. Super fucking cool. Um, and so Nature of Work is a recent um, yeah. birth of a company, which is super cool. We'll get there in a second. Brightweb though. So you talk so much about a uh, decent or not decentralized. You talk about a distributed network mm-hmm. of workers, of minds, of ideas. And that is a very interesting concept to me because I think about... As a young person, we think mm-hmm. about, oh, I don't want to work a nine to five, right? So totally. when, when we go into the workforce right now, it's like, I want to have something that's cool and it has a cool office and has a beer cooler, right? I, I need to have bean bags <laughs> in my office to be cool, right? Is or that have, on your checklist? Oh, 100%. My office does not have that. <laughs> you know, but come on. Uh-huh. Anyways. Flight um, risk. Yeah. <laughs> um, you gotta, it has to be cool. Um, it has to pay well. And that, that's about it, you know? Like, And I... I and we just don't want to have we want we don't have flexible hours. Mm-hmm. You know we don't want to have that show up here, or leave here, or if we do, we want it to be ten to six, not nine to five. Or kind of like or, on your own terms, right? Or on your own terms, or yeah. eight to four, just not nine to five. I can't say I have a nine to five. That's like ah, oh my god, right? right? Can't do it's that. Like a status thing. Yeah, even. totally. Yeah. It's a status thing. And so we constantly think about ways we can get around that. Right. And we want to have flexibility and maneuverability. We want to have malleability in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to find a way to have that is almost impossible. Now you've created a structure and organization where individuals can do that. Yeah. But I have always found that working underneath one roof is really inspiring because I, because yeah. I get to, you know, sit next to the CEO or whoever it may be, or my quote unquote boss or manager. And I see how they're moving. Yeah. And that's a really interesting uh, experience for me. Yeah. And that's why I had always thought previously I still don't even know what I think, first off, let me be clear. Um, but now I'm at a point in my thinking where I'm like, oh, no, like a, a distributed network that everyone wants where, oh, yeah, I'm working on my laptop in Bali. Right. You know, like, that can't work. 
you know, because there's not that interpersonal communication, that right. interweave um, of community culture and, and mm-hmm. company culture. But somehow you've made this work and now you're working with other companies to make it work on a larger scale. Right. That seems completely preposterous to me. Very cool. Uh-huh. But from a, um, a practical, tactical standpoint, I'm like, what? Yeah. How does that work? How does a distributed network really work of, of workers? How does that even... Yeah, it's honestly, it's been kind of a an experiment because again entering into territory where there's not a lot of um clear cases or role models to draw from is there any there i mean there are there are remote companies there are companies that are fully remote like so that's a thing like i don't think that's a necessarily a brand new thing at all okay um but even that like there's not there's not a lot of literature or studies or there's not a lot of stuff there even. There is some stuff. So I did some research and thought about it. I mean, this all started for a couple of reasons. One is I wanted, I didn't like coming to the office every day. I didn't get any work done in the office. It's too distracting. There's too much noise and people around. Like I need to put my head down and get work done. I found like I liked coming to the office once in a while because I'm an extrovert. And I like to see people and talk, but then I end up just talking all the time and mm-hmm. not getting a lot done. But um, so I, I wanted to basically free myself up to basically be able to travel and stuff. And, and, and I knew sooner or later I was going to move to somewhere like Bowen Island. I hadn't yet made that plan, but that was that was happening. Yes. We also started having clients all over the country, like all over the U.S. actually, not really even in Canada. But And we were traveling all the time, so we're always out of the office anyway. So I was like, okay. The other thing I thought about was, man, the price of living in Vancouver is totally insane. And I looked around at my staff and I'm like, how soon before these folks have to start moving to Victoria or moving to the Sunshine Coast or moving to Squamish or whatever? Um, uh, And so I thought like, man, I better start creating a model that's going to allow for that as soon as possible. But it's been a, a few years of, of figuring that out. So the second piece that we, so we went remote, we have co-working space in Vancouver but mostly people work remote. Like they come into the, the office one or two days a week, maybe. Some of them almost never come into the office. Some of them are on like year-long traveling sabbaticals where they're working and like they're on the remote year program. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I was going to ask you about it, yeah. Where you're like in a different city every month um, for a year. Did you design that? or did you- No, no, no. That's like a great, some companies doing that. So you sign up, you pay two grand a month and they organize all your travel you set you up with a co-working space and an apartment and like a phone chip and transportation from the airport. And basically you're set up in a new city each month and you travel all through like South America and I think Asia or something. You're kind of all over the place. So we've had a few people of our staff do that um, or just work from home or whatever. So that's kind of been going and that, that part has been a little bit easier. And then the second piece we added was I've been thinking a lot too about what does it mean? What is like, what does work look like in, in 10 or 15, 20 years. And like, I think about people like you, who you want, you have a day job, you want, you, you, you know, but you're also building something and you're doing other things. And like, how can I create a model that allows for, for intelligent people who want to work hard to work for me as well as do whatever else they want to do. Maybe it's travel, maybe it's raise kids, maybe it's be in school, maybe it's have their own side business or a business they're trying to get going. Um, or maybe they just like to work really hard, but take two months off a year and no job is going to let you do that. Yeah. Right. So how do I create a model that that breaks away from that? So instead of just thinking about full time staff, we have what we call the network, which is people who are just freelancers who go through like a pretty thorough vetting process and they apply like they apply. They go through a vetting process, then they go through a training process, then they then we start handing them projects and, and building them into work. But we have folks like at one point we had people working in 25 cities 
around the world. Um, and they're all over the place. And what we found is like, we have to be really careful about finding people who are values aligned, who are passionate about what we do, who are really good at what they do. Like they have to be really good at being self-managed and taking care of their shit. We can't babysit someone in Germany yeah, it just doesn't or babysit work. somebody in South America. Like it's just not going to work. Or babysit 50 people in 50 different cities. Yeah, it's like, no, not, not possible. Yeah. Um, but it creates a lot of flexibility for people. So even we had people who used to work for us full time switch to that model. Like I had one guy who's like, yeah, we're going to move to, we're going to move to, um, where did he go? I think LA for a while. And he's like, I got to, he phoned me. Oh, I was in LA. He phoned me to resign. He's like, yeah, we're going to Bali for a year. And I got to resign, Steve. I'm like, why do you got to resign? He's like, I love, I'm like, do you like working for Brightweb? He's like, I love it. I love Brightweb. It's like, well, just switch you to the network and drop your hours down to 25 a week. Will that be enough? He's like, yeah, that's perfect. I can surf every day. And, and so, like, you know, so we have this flexibility suddenly to allow people to do that. Now, you're right, though. There's like, there is a real component around making sure that people get connection and stay connected. So we're like, I think those are things that we're still working through trying to figure out how to do that. A couple of the ways we think about that is we have an annual retreat where we invite anyone, even the anyone who's even freelance with us, like they're invited. They have to fly themselves to where we are, but everything else is paid for. And we have like a two, three day retreat where we all stay, we all connect, we hang out, we just wow. do social activities and we, we get bonded, you know? Oh, yeah. And then we go back into the world and do our thing. Mm. Um, we're thinking about adjusting the way we operate our office because we have this co-working space, but we don't really use it. So we're thinking about adjusting that further and creating more of like an intentional, maybe once a quarter, everybody comes to a bigger space and we just have a big jam day kind of thing and hang like out. And, but I don't know, like... To me, this is the, 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 the future of our, the way we live and stuff. It's like you should be able to live wherever you want. And what works for Joss is going to be different than what works for Steve. Like Joss might like to listen to like Mariah Carey all day. This is true. And, you know, Dirty pleasure. work in a bathing suit. And like I'm not really down for that, right? <laughs> so, so Joss should be able to do what he's into. And I can listen to like some really good music in <laughs> like a three-piece suit or whatever yeah, I'm into. Perfect. But like... You know, like create the environment that works best for different people. And mm-hmm. and to your point, like some people are early, like to wake up early and work early. Some people like to work at night. Some people have kids and have sporadic hours they got to work. So mm-hmm. who cares as long as you're getting your, your shit done? So that's that's the hard part is, is how, do hard. You, how do you track? Are you getting your shit done? Are you really devoted to this? Like, for instance, if I'm working next to my manager or whoever is responsible for the work that I'm doing, right. um, you know, I have someone that is literally looking at my, my progress and saying, okay, this is good. This is good. This is good. Or if there's not progress, okay, well, what's happening? I can break that down based on what Joss is doing here or what he's yeah. doing here. And I can tangibly make, you know, I can shift gears and put pieces in place so he can be successful in his job. Yeah. Now, if he's, you know, um, in the south of France and working, you know, in the network. And then also you don't necessarily know where these people are. You don't know if they're fulfilling their potential. That's a big thing. Like I coach basketball. And so it's like, if I see you there, if I see you there working, I know what you're capable of because yeah. I can have a tangible texture of your personality yeah. and who you are. And then I can then push you to your potential. But if you're... So if that's a physical thing, right? Sure. Well, yeah. sure. But it is. It's also creative potential is also yeah no that's that's true right i think what's interesting i found actually in a bit of contrast to that is when somebody is removed like if they're in the office with you you might just really like them or you might think they look like they're working hard all day but they're getting shit all done yeah right good point but when you're when somebody is on the other side of the world or just 
across the city and you all you see is what did they put on the Google Drive today? Like what files did they upload? What did they accomplish on the to-do list? Like we, we have to, we actually have to be pretty organized to be able to make this of work. Course. So we've got our processes all mapped out. We're tracking everything. Like we're, we're, we have to run a very tight ship to make this work. So it is a lot of work. Like it's hard. Um, but at the same time, you also can see quite clearly if people are delivering or not, because that's mm -hmm. the main thing you see is their actual work product. Deliverables. Yes. No. Yeah. And it's all knowledge work. So it's all digital files and communications and stuff like that. So it works okay. Now, to your point, like, are they living up to their full potential or not? I mean, we just hopefully hire people that are really good at what they do and deliver high-quality work that we think is of the quality that we care about, right. and, and that's about it. But it, it is, honestly, it is not the easiest path. Um, to me, I'm trying to build, like, a business for the future in a current world where, like, even a lot of the um, the regulations, the tax laws, the... HR policies, all these things don't really make sense for the way we work. There's lots of things where we feel like, well, we're kind of in a gray area. I don't know if we're doing something that's technically not allowed. Now, we, we're very ethical. We really think through how we approach everything. So so I think I just, I just use that as like, I, as long as we're ethical, no one's going to get mad and then we're not going to have any problems. Right. But it's really interesting being in a time where we're sort of ahead of the curve. There's no really nobody really to draw inspiration from. There's only a few companies out there that are really doing this well. Um, so it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting journey. It's definitely like been a harder path than I think. Cause I, I'm, I'm a guy who just, I can see something out in the distance. I can, I can visualize it. I can paint the picture and I'm like, we're going there. Yeah. And like with the network launching the distributed model originally, I was like, okay, we'll build a business plan. We'll think about it for six months. Maybe we'll take a loan or raise some money to launch it. And then I was like, nah, let's put a blog post up with a form to apply for our network. And let's get it popping, and like, and like, uh, <laughs> let's get this shit popping. And, and, let's go. And, and the next by the that was in uh, September of twenty sixteen. Oh my god! And in twenty seventeen, by the end of twenty seventeen, seventy percent of our billable work was being done by people in the network. Like we went from zero to one hundred really fast. Wow! And it was like it was super fun. Our company grew a lot, and now and now we're sort of tightening that up and figuring out okay, now how do we get this model right? You know, there's a bunch. I think the hardest thing is how do you continue to create community? Mm -hmm. My main vision for the whole thing was, and, and is for the whole thing, is how how do we create a community of people who are passionate about something that are not tied to us con contractually in the sense of being an employee, but they are contributing and they want to be a part of something that we're offering a, a level of value, then they're offering a level of value back that is that that people want to stick around and be part of that in the long term. How do we create that is totally flexible. It's like a far more natural system where things can come and go. Like one of our guys who's been working for me actually since my old company. Um, so he's been working for me for well over a decade, but now he's in the network in, in, in BrightWeb. And that allows him, like right now, next week, he's launching um, him and his husband. They do musicals once a year. They, they write and produce a musical every year. So, so cool. once a year, they need some time off to pop that off and and he can wind his work down and do that for a little while he yeah. goes to burning man every year so of course he, he gets to you know take the time to go do that and yes. yet he still has consistent work and, and so so it's like to me it's a really interesting model to get right it's really hard it's taken a lot of work it's not working perfectly yet like you say bright web's a well-oiled machine it does pretty well but it's still you know business is always evolving and there's always that's a, that's the thing with with things truly great organizations is externally they look, they look like a well-oiled machine internally they're 
fucking grinding, right? And there's yeah. a, there's that will always exist, especially, and that's beautiful. Especially when you're always trying to do something new and innovative and better. Like you're always like I'm 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 always wrestling with how to you know deal with my own desire to be better all the time and not just relax a little bit and, and communicate enjoy it. that to your team. Yeah, fuck, really hard. Um, yeah. Yeah, you had a quick, quick statement there where you said we're trying to build something that doesn't exist yet, and for a world and a work environment that doesn't exist yet, we're trying to yeah. be a futurist uh, in many regards. Cool. So that must mean, as a listener, I'm thinking hey, that must mean that Steve has an idea of a world. He has an idea of a world in 15, 20 years, or whatever that time span may mm-hmm. be, where the workforce is going to look like X, and right now it looks like Y. Yeah. What are X and Y? Or well, we know what today is. What's the future look like? Well, I, I hope that it's a place where people can have diverse skill sets mm-hmm. and can tap into interesting projects with different companies that they find interesting. Like they can they can tap into various things and have more autonomy in terms of how they contribute to society and contribute to business, right? Mm-hmm. So if they um and that they can and that there's a way for them to do that while also having ongoing learning opportunities, um, a sense of community, a sense of connection and, and purpose and impact without having to say, yes, I am committing to you full time and signing up for the regular routine of two to three weeks off a year, yeah, which is just like, uh, like, uh. it's kind of just like, how do you create all of those aspects without, without the traditional and how do you have the flexibility to live where you want to um, have the the nat- the rhythm of work and life that you want, like I was talking about vacation time or mm-hmm. the the amount of hours you want to work in a week, or there's lots of different ways to think about that. So just a way that's it's more flexible, and it also means that as a company, you uh, when you pivot to do something new, you need a different type of skill set. You can quickly find those people, mm-hmm. onboard them, and keep them. Running. You don't them. have to lay off a bunch of people and fire a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Like you, like the company gets flexibility, and we need to be agile in this in this new environment, right? That we're in, like the, the way technology is moving at this pace, we're constantly having to pick up new skills. Mm-hmm. Now, if we had to hire a new developer for every time a new coding language became popular, like it would be a constant rotation. Right. But instead, we have some, you know, a steady base of people that do certain types of work. And if we need a customized thing for a specific project, bring them in for a project, then they move on to the next thing and we're good too. Mm-hmm. Like, so I guess, I think it's just uh, creating a level of flexibility that is in touch with the way we are able to stay, like that lines up with the technology we have in place now. Right. Okay. So then, yeah, yeah. No, I'm on board with everything you're saying. What do you think about uh, platforms like Fiverr? Pro- platforms that you can literally just go grab someone and utilize them at, yeah. you know, very cheap. I, I feel like those are really just capitalist extraction models. Like I, I think that there's, I think that, I mean, in some cases there's probably people where, I mean, and mostly on Fiverr, you're not paying $5. I don't think for stuff. No. I don't know exactly, but there are places like, I think on the one hand it's creating an economy where $5 American is a lot, in certain parts of like say the Philippines or wherever, like somewhere just pick a spot. Um, And so maybe in those cases, it's creating an economy that is like an interesting economy where you are actually putting money into the, uh, a good amount of money. I think it's fairly extractionist. It's very transactional. It's not like, I think a lot of what's happening in technology and a lot of what's happening in the world right now is not 
based on actually creating better human lives. I don't think Fiverr is trying to make anybody's life better. So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I'd bet, I'd bet against it. Okay, cool. I, yeah. I think what I, I think last thing I'd say about that is I think what BrightWeb's trying to do, there's lots of people who hire contractors and they treat them kind of like cogs and they put them in, they make them do the work and they spit them back out. I'm really trying to say like, this is the way the world is moving towards a more flexible workforce. How do we do that in a way that still creates a sense of community, opportunities to learn, opportunities to contribute impact so you actually feel fulfilled by the work. You're not just a cog in the wheel sort of thing, which I think is what Fiverr is or any of those things are. Totally, but those are those three things right there. Community, mm-hmm. uh, sense of community and culture, uh, uh, impact and continuing continuing education and learning yeah. from a distributed workforce. How do you tackle that? I don't know. I Slowly. I couldn't even... Like, We're working on it. I mean, yeah. things like... First of all, I think when you have purpose, deep purpose and values in your company and you attract people who are interested in those things, that you you community happens quite organically. Like okay. suddenly you have a bunch of people that care about the what you're doing. I think if we are a I think we have an advantage being Bright Web doing social impact work. So everything we do is with nonprofits. Uh, we do for profit work as well if it's got a, a strong social impact component. Our work intrinsically has meaning and purpose. Right. So we attract people for that. So it's a lot easier to get people engaged on a deeper level than just punching in, punching out. So that, so, so that's, a, I think, a core component. Like your company has to be doing something that means something to people. That doesn't, you know, there's lots of ways to talk about that. But I think, and then you have to put a lot of energy into how do you create community and connection, like, and do that virtually and create ways to meet up and do learning opportunities. And I don't think BrightWeb, like BrightWeb is on the cusp of getting that right. Like, I think we're working on that. I don't think we're mastering that yet, but we're working really hard on it. And then also creating things like our, our retreat and creating, like trying to create meetups in cities where there's more than a few people. When we realize there's a few people, we try and get them together for coffees or for beers or for whatever mm. and help them organize that kind of stuff. So just trying to create ways for people to stay connected. Like it's not rocket science. It's mostly just actually caring enough to put the effort in to do that. Care. Like, like I'm not, I'm not running BrightWeb to be a super high profit machine. It's not. It makes okay money. It's at a decent scale. Like, you know, we're a multi-million dollar company. That's great. But we're, like, if I wanted it to be a high profit machine, I would not be servicing nonprofits. I would not be a remote distributed team, probably. Mm-hmm. I, 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 like there's, there might be a financial advantage to that once the model matures. Right now, it's, it's not making us any more money. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's about I want to improve the quality of people's lives and, and push the boundaries of what's possible in this world. So like that's more interesting to me as long as I'm not like as long as I'm making enough money to live my life then. And more fulfilled. 100%. I yeah. wake up excited in the morning. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah. Don't you don't have to go to work. Literally never no. have to go to work. No. When well, Steve I, uh, goes to work, where does he go? I walk out um, of my house and I walk 10 feet to my little office. Which is a separate building? Yeah, it's a small separate building on my property um, that I renovated when we first moved there and turned it into like this beautiful little right. space. Right, yeah. Very cool. It's really, it's like, it's epic. <laughs> and honestly, when I built that space and I sat down at the first time, that was one of the first times I felt like really successful. Wow. Just because I had, I, I love the work I do and, and to have a space like that where I could see the ocean, bright, big windows, beautiful. We kind of custom made our desks and, I, I did, my wife and I designed the space and made it wow. ourselves. Like it was like, Oh wow, this, I made it. <laughs> yeah, it was no. a funny moment. 
I, I don't doubt it. But you also spoke about a moment when you sat down there and, and were oh, yeah. productive there. So that's very interesting because I'm the exact same way. I just want to create spaces that inspire me totally. and are, are perfectly crafted and designed for me. And I could never imagine. So when I heard you you know, say that you got to the space and weren't productive, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm in trouble because that's where I'm going. Well, you, you can you just it just made me realize that it, it's not like and that was the moment when I went down the started doing the research for nature of work and that was like two two plus years ago okay and yeah so i built this beautiful office i felt like man i finally made it i sit down i'm gonna get the best work of my life done here it's so quiet yeah and i really i could not focus at all and um and the main thing that happened for me there was uh, like well actually i had a panic attack because i was like holy shit i got a lot to do and i'm this should be, I've been working my whole life to get here. Why can't I work? Like, why can't I think? Why can't I stay focused? And so I, I, I stopped everything I was doing and spent a day or two really reflecting on what was going on, what's happening in my life right now. And I realized that we had been moving. We'd been rent, we're renovating our house. We're doing all this stuff. We'd been moving. We'd moved multiple times because we were renting in Vancouver and our apartments kept getting put on the market for sale. And it was just kind of a chaotic time. Mm-hmm. And I had let any of my sort of regular routines go. And uh, I hadn't yet really done any of the research on on focus and attention and all the stuff that I know now. But I just knew something wasn't right. And that's what actually got me going. And somebody put, put me on to um, Deep Work, which is a book by Cal Newport. Cal Newport yeah. um, and that kind of, that sent me down this the, the path. And then I basically ex- like took his book and looked at okay, he's referencing all these studies, go find all those studies, read all the studies, then go find a bunch more books, then just just went down this deep, deep hole of thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really interesting because it also made me think a lot about um, my team, like being a remote team and being a distributed team, there's a lot of technology in between us to keep us connected. Right. And so I also was seeing a lot of my staff being really overwhelmed by Slack, all that, like Slack is to me is just chaos. <laughs> Right, a lot and of channels, man. Yeah, we there's, use a, it. there's a lot going on. There's yeah. just it's just a nonstop, never-ending meeting, basically, oh, yeah. like ten meetings going on at once, forever, yeah. um, or thirty um, at my company. So, so it got me thinking a lot about that too. So that was interesting. That's that's what set it off for me. It was all a lot of what I've done is is a personal like going remote. Was hey, I want to be remote. I yeah. want flexibility. I don't want to be tied down to a location. Mm-hmm. What's that model look like? Mm-hmm. And the nature of work came out of that too. Was Man, I got to get my brain back because it d- turns out that even it doesn't matter how beautiful your environment is if if what's going on in your head is not tight, like is not yeah, tight, yeah. you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You definitely seem like someone that wants to keep you know your ducks in a row. You want to keep things tight, physically, mentally, yeah. uh, socially, like just everything. You like to have things. I'm a highly disciplined person, like, Absolutely. and I think a lot about that. Yeah, um, which is extremely hard to get your head around. Willpower is a muscle. It is right. Willpower is yeah. a muscle. That's one of the um, uh, one of the first things I learned because I come from a basketball background, right? And it was always like you always talk about these guys that work harder. They just work harder. They're just another gear. Kobe Bryant, just another gear. And he has a four a.m. workout at by three thirty. He's in there sweating. He's already got a hundred right. shots up. Just like unparalleled work. So I, from a very young age, I've always been very interested about how we train that muscle efficiently, effectively, so I can just become second nature, create habits Mm -hmm. um, to be the most efficient, most disciplined person possible in every facet of my life. The first podcast, this is just bringing me back here, the first podcast 
that we did here, we were talking about discipline and I was like, I don't mess with someone if I look at their shoes and I can see there's a crease on the back of their shoes, you know, like meaning they don't untie or tie their shoes, you know, like, you know, those people like even like ruthless, the, even like the, the slippers and shit. Like if, if you step on the back of your shoes, that's it. Like, don't even don't come to my house <laughs> anyways. Um, and so I've been obsessed with that from, from very early age what got you on this path? Were you always this way around self-discipline and willpower and, and keeping things tight around you or or is this developed or how did this come to fruition? I I think that I have, like I've always been really self like intrinsically motivated. Right. I mean, like I talk about when I picked up a guitar at 12, 13, it really isn't an exaggeration that anytime I was in my house, I had my guitar on. I was, I was practicing guitar right. and I hung around with a lot of friends like who played a lot of video games through, through my teens and into my early twenties. Like we all smoked a lot of weed back then. Um, and, and, and that didn't slow me down at all. Like I was still like, they'd be playing video games and I'd be sitting in the back writing songs. Like, and I, and I became a very good guitar player and a great songwriter and like excellent. Like I was always really driven that way. I do think that there was a point in my early 20s where I realized that on certain things I was really motivated and other things I wasn't that disciplined. And I, and I forget what I called it. I had some funny thing in my head, like in my early 20s, I think it was like man of action or something. I had this phrase that I came up with and I thought, like, what would a man of action do? And I think this was when I was still smoking a lot of weed and I would <laughs> like put off a lot of things in my life. Like yes. I was disciplined in certain areas, but not in others. Yeah. And I just started telling myself, okay, like what would a man of action do? He would do this thing right now. Yeah. And he would just get it done. And he would never, he, there's, there's, and, and it just kind of became, it's just habit forming. Like you say, it's willpower. You build the muscle and you just get into a place where, where those things are become easy. Like keeping, like do like making your bed, flossing your teeth, doing all those little things. They just become routine and they're just part of your daily routine. And mm-hmm. I hate going to bed without flossing my teeth. <laughs> like I hate it. I almost never, like I almost never do mm-hmm. probably three times a year. Do I ever do that? I believe it. Right. But like, and those are like the little things, but then in in terms of discipline also needs to be, you know, focused around like intelligently. Cause I think through my twenties, I was really grinding hard, but I wasn't grind. Like I wasn't working intelligently. I wasn't a, not knowing any of the stuff I know now, about how to actually structure your time and organize all the stuff we're teaching at nature of work. I wasn't, I didn't know any of that stuff, but I also wasn't strategically thinking through, okay, what are the steps? Where do I want to be in two years? What are the, how do I work backwards? How do I make a plan for that? What are the steps that I need to do? For instance, like I would work really hard and stuff, but I, I was neglecting creating the social connections I needed, which in my mid late twenties, I didn't really realize just how much of the world rotates on social connections, right? And how so much you can work, you can be the best at something, but if nobody knows who you are and you don't have any friends in the industry, there's no point, right? So like, there's things like that where I wasn't really intelligent about how my how I used my discipline, totally. or I would let my discipline like my discipline became a monster sometimes, and it would just I wouldn't do anything cool or fun. Like I would just grind super hard. Yeah. So it's like always been a bit of a balancing act, but it's always been there for me. I think. Yeah. Uh, no, I feel you 100 percent from there. Um, how did that manifest in a bad way? You say that I would become a monster at some points. What does that mean? I just mean that I would I would put myself under way too much pressure. Mm-hmm. I would I would set myself up to do things that were virtually impossible or just barely possible and 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 work so so hard and just put myself like that I I didn't even enjoy it. You right. know like by the time I 
you know, I would just do certain things where I would just set unreasonable goals, like, and do just do kind of insane things where I was just working way too hard. Like, there was no, like, what's the point of working hard if you're sort of miserable and you're so tired? And mm-hmm. by the, you know, like, for instance, like, I'd be organizing, uh, I remember organizing the release party for my solo album, and it was such a complex thing. I was trying, I had, I had, I was going to perform the album live, which was a super layered album, you know, so it needed, 10 different musicians and I was going to have live video projections for each song designed by different artists wow. in the city. And I was, and they're going to do custom pieces for me and I'm organizing all this stuff. And it was like, but it was just, it was a, a super complex show to pull off at the time. Right. At that time there, there was no digital, you couldn't plug computers in for digital projections or something. It was like a complex thing to do at right, the time. Right. No, there was, but it was just, I don't know, like everything about it was just, I couldn't have made it harder for myself. Yeah. And I remember at the show, like I just was so stressed out. Like it had got to the wire. We were, you know, it was just so much work. And and then I didn't, I don't even remember the show because I was like blackout stressed, right? So what's, I don't know. Like I think there's a, there's a, there's a line there where you got to find that's, you can still enjoy yourself. Like I, I, I also, I just think about, I think about like the, some of the most successful people in life, you know, are actually some of the most unhappy people in life. So I think there's a, you got to find the balance where you're achieving great things and doing cool stuff, but you're not doing it at the sake of your friends and family, of your own health, of your happiness. Um, you got to just find some balance there. There comes a point, <clears throat> excuse me, there comes a point for me personally where w- when you're blackout stressed, you don't remember anything else. Nah. Like it's just gone. Like, there's like times where I don't even remember months of that. Yeah. You know, and, and someone will be like, hey, remember this last time we were here at this place? We did this. And I was like, we were here? Yeah. When the f- were we here? Are you sure we were here? Like, I do not remember right. that. And that scares the shit out of me. Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pretty stubborn. Like, I'm a pretty stubborn guy. Like, I'm pretty stubborn. And so I don't hear shit easily. I try to be super open minded and right. being, you know, Learning to listen has been a great function of this podcast, but I'm very much stubborn. Like if I want it, I'm there. The same way as you, like, okay, I see it. As soon as I saw it, now I've had it and I'm there, right? So having someone go back and say, dude, you were so gone on that. You literally missed three years of your life. And me being in a spot where I'm coming up to my prime, I don't want to miss that shit. Right. I don't want to miss that shit at all. Like I want to be there and present for every second. So that makes me think, okay, maybe let's take, tone it back a little bit. Think about a, a 30 or 40 or 50 year game. Yeah. Not think about a five year game, put the social pressures aside and just like go have fun and, and, and be able to enjoy that. Cause I have a constant guilt complex, right? Yeah. It's wild. I have that too. I've been, I mean, I don't, well, I still have it. Yeah. But you still have it to this yeah. day. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, I don't listen to it as much. And right. I, and, and actually it, it's been really helpful doing a lot of the research I've done because one of the things I've realized is how valuable and productive rest is. Like right. that's one of the biggest transitions for me. Mm-hmm. I used to never want to rest or take a day off, right? There's always something that can be done. Mm-hmm. And learning that that's just not true, like that actually taking rest will will accelerate when you get back to things. You'll be smarter, you'll you'll have better ideas, you'll you'll be faster. All of the things are true, mm-hmm. both physically and cognitively. Mm-hmm. This is true for like athletes, they work out a lot. Like you talk about Kobe Bryant, he did not work out for 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Of course not. His muscles would waste away. He'd be screwed, right? right. You take breaks. And, and, and the best athletes in the world really learn to relax well. 
Like they actually focus on relaxing really well. So that I try to like, I'm trying to just, just really understand that and, and live that out now in my life too is like, it's funny, like one of the things in nature of work in terms of the habits you form is just basic stuff like take at least a half day off a week. Start with that. Get it up to one, get it up to two. Like take a day off where you aren't on technology or you're not and you're not thinking about work. You're doing something social. You're doing something outside. You're doing something physical. You're doing something that is completely different than what you are working on. Right. And that and that you will absolutely come back the next day smarter and faster. Yeah. Because your 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 subconscious mind had time to actually process everything you've been thinking about and working on. Mm-hmm. So so that for me has been helpful in knowing that rest is actually productive. I'm you know I can't sit on a beach for five days. Like no, get out of here. No. Yeah, totally. So as work, so you speak a lot about um, in nature of work. You speak a lot about being um, workers in the knowledge economy. Yeah. And so as a worker in the knowledge economy, meaning, and I perceive that to be you're not physically using your skills to build something or manual labor of that nature. Is that somewhat correct? Yeah, like anybody who's working on a computer or working with creating documents and creating Ideas information. Or and, yeah. whatever it may be, right? Yeah, that's that's what a knowledge worker is. Yeah. So, which uh, most, large, of us most of us are, right? Yeah. So from a person in that perspective, how do we learn to relax? Because if you're a physical worker, it's very easy. You just take you take time off. You don't work physically. There's a That's clearer relaxing. separation when you so do physical. How work. do I? So, for instance, if I'm working on a project or I'm working on something creatively, I'm constantly thinking about that. Yeah. I can't. You know, I don't have that switch. You know. So as a as a as a worker in the knowledge economy, how do I learn to relax? Yeah, I, I think I think it's it is understanding the the basic cycles of things, like in how our bodies work, how we're designed. First of all, we are designed for about four to five hours of really hard cognitive work in a Steve, day. That's so little. Before before our before our 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 cognitive performance goes down, so we can do more than that. But you're going to do more. You're going to be working at a lower capacity, right? Mm-hmm. So so, and if you're trying to do your best work, you've got about four to five hours of your best work per day. So that's one thing. Like understanding that. That doesn't mean you can't throw in some meetings and do some other stuff. You also need to take breaks. You need to rest in order to to cycle up. You can't. Your phone is going to die if you don't charge it. Like it's basic. It's basic. Um, yeah. Basic stuff there. I think. I think the 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 other thing in terms of learning how to rest is recognizing that what real rest actually is. So I think a lot of us when we finish work. We go home, we sit on the couch, and we watch Netflix, or we sit on our phones, or we sit on the internet, or YouTube, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Netflix may be a little bit, but the rest of those things, like flipping through things on your phone is not cognitively relaxing at all. It's very hard on your brain. Mm-hmm. It's emotionally and cognitively exhausting. So a lot of times what we're doing throughout our day, it's like, so first off, while we're at work, we get five minutes off, or we're having lunch, and instead of relaxing, we're on our phone. That's not relaxing. So first of all, we can introduce proper breaks during our workday. So I found like I've had I had this a couple of weeks ago, and as a, a good reminder for myself, I had these two crazy days back to back, like where I I had I think something like twenty something meetings each day. Like it was just a really chaotic couple of days. And um, the one the one day the Thursday, I was I had these little five minute breaks a couple times. I'd put on a great song. I'd literally get up, move around, dance a bit, like mm-hmm. just get outside, breathe some fresh air. Because you're aware, you know. Yeah, like yeah. I just took those couple five minute breaks during the day. I took thirty minutes at lunch. I had lunch with my wife. We talked face to face, 
like normal human beings. <laughs> wow. Right? And and then the next day I had the same kind of day, but I they were so back to back that I had to do email over lunch and I didn't get those five minute breaks. And I was, and at the end of the Thursday, the first day, I felt great. Like I was energized. I was pumped about the work I was doing. Second mm-hmm. day, I was so bagged that I was like, I have to go for a walk right now. I can't talk. My wife was like, can I come for a walk with you? I was like, nah, I need, I just need space. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was the, that was the easiest difference was just taking a couple five minute times throughout right. the day where you're actually technology free, where you take what I like, what I'd refer to as good rest. Same thing when you actually take time in the evenings, like when you get home, do you play video games? Do you sit on your phone or do you do something that's cognitively relaxing? Like mm-hmm. do a puzzle, like read a book, like talk to friends, do something social, do something artistic, do something physical, mm-hmm. do something in nature. Like those are the basic tenets of, of, of actual rest and, and actual downtime has to include those things. And it can't be, if, if your work is highly cognitive, you have to get out of that cognitive mindset. You have to get out of your pre, prefrontal cortex. You mm. got to get into something that's creative, that's like, that's artistically creative, that's social, like social, like socializing is actually, it's a great, uh, great way to relax. Um, it's really good for the body. Like we were talking about all the social benefits of, of being with friends and, and family and, and whatnot. Um, being, uh, exposed to nature is, is really powerful. And there's lots of great research that shows, you know, there's one study that showed a six minute walk, uh, or, or yeah, I think a six minute walk in nature increased, uh, creativity in these test subjects by 60%, like their ability to, to solve cognitive challenges improved by 60%. Why is that? Because we're, uh, well, I, I actually, I'm not sure that anybody is, is a hundred percent clear on that. But there is lots of research that shows being exposed to nature, to the color green, to breathing oxygen. So for one thing is that in any environment, like the environment we're in right now, the oxygen content is pretty, like the air quality is actually quite bad. It's mm-hmm. completely different than being outside. So even just breathing deep air could be the, the solution. It could be moving more blood to the brain. It could be doing a bunch of things. Just getting up and walking around, like mm-hmm. anything like that. So actually understanding like when you're going to take a break, take a real break. Right. If you're going to take time off in the evenings, do something that's actually cognitively relaxing for mm-hmm. you. Same thing with the weekends, all that kind of stuff. Like that's the way, I mean, it's, I, I say it and it feels really basic. Oh, but, it totally. But yeah. it, but we're not doing that. Yeah. Go do it. And then like, we're just not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's we really, don't want it's really to. Well. Like, I don't. Yeah. I built a, um, I built a, a sauna on my property. Is my, I, I do a lot of construction stuff when I, like, that's one of the things that, that I do, very for interesting. Rest, which is super fun. Yeah. But I built a sauna and now um, we'll try and get in the sauna three, four times a week in the evenings. And it's wild. Like there's, we don't allow any technology in a sauna and it's pretty hot in there. Probably melt your phone anyway, but it's dead quiet. What do you go to? Sorry. Uh, like where, where how, how how hot is oh, that sauna I, I think it probably gets up to like 75 80 degrees yeah. like I, I i don't know we're trying to figure out like we're new to the sauna game <laughs> when we look at other saunas they measure the temperature at the top which is not which would be no i think that maybe is the way you measure it really and I, like i think that's because maybe that's the hottest it can possibly be is right at the top so that's the safety place to measure i don't know okay Anyway, so there's no at technology head height, there. it's 75, which is really hot. Super hot, yeah. And um, But no technology in there. No technology in there. It's dead quiet. Sometimes we'll sit in there in silence for an hour. Sometimes an we'll, hour? Sometimes we'll talk. Even hour? Yeah, but sometimes, and sometimes we'll sit and talk. But like getting that kind of downtime is incredible. Like my blood pressure is down. Yeah. I mean, not only saunas are great for blood pressure, but also just getting that time is really good. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then wow. and just sleep enough. Just sleep more. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So, right. Right, Joss. How much? Yeah. How much are you sleeping? <laughs> Yeah, there's another reason why I was dreading this podcast today because I didn't, I'm not, I'm not I didn't get a lot of sleep you. last night, man. I didn't get a lot I'm of sleep last night. I'm not going to call you. It's cool, man. You don't have to answer that. Um, not enough. I'll say that. Not enough. Um, That's cool. I tried to get a nap in, in this afternoon. Didn't really work. It's all good. Um, yeah, I was trying to design my day today. So I was like, okay. You know, yesterday I was like, okay, I got this podcast with Steve Rio tomorrow. Like, I should really be, I should really, really live this and really understand this on a deeper level. Okay, well, how would Steve fully optimize his day? So I'm looking at this, okay, I got a couple of meetings here. I need to do this chunk of work here. And I'm like, okay, how do I, again, like get to this deep work here, but then be fully like creatively aware for these meetings right here, right. <laughs> you know, like, so really stimulate my creative brain there, but my intellectual brain here. And then, uh, and then try to turn off at this point and then really just go for this, you know, and like trying to. You're like an ideal candidate for nature of work. When we get when we get our our program is almost done, I'll get you an advanced I would, copy that would version of make our, my life. Yeah, I, see what you think. I, no, I would. I, I would really, really. Yeah, I'd appreciate love to get that. your feedback on it too, dude. This the the whole human optimization game. I feel is so young, and is you know, or or maybe it's not young. The research has been there for a while, but we're just being exposed to it now. I feel like you know. I talk about North Stars a lot. Guys like Aubrey Marcus down in uh, yeah. in Austin, Texas, is yeah. a huge, 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 huge North Star for me. Cool. Um, in terms of human optimization, from a uh, health and wellness, from a supplement standpoint, from a physical standpoint, yeah. from a mental standpoint, from a psychedelic standpoint, from a meditation standpoint, yeah. from a relationship standpoint, he's dealing with shit right now that I just I can't even uh, cognitively function. You know, like, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like he and you and I look at both of you and you have super similar parallels yeah. in terms of your train of thought. I don't know if you're aware of, of his work down there only, at all. Only briefly, and you you right. kind of put me onto him. So so Hell I've been yeah. checking him out. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that... He's where, in like San Diego or something? Or? Uh, Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Yeah, I knew he was down in the south somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, on an academy is unreal. Um, super cool. cool. He he speaks a lot about... He used to speak a lot about and still does uh, psychedelics. Yeah. But he was talking about it in 2010 and 2011. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, man. Like, I, I grew up in that culture. So for me, like, psychedelics is not, a, is not like a... It's far not, out thing yeah far out thing yeah. you know it's, it's it's very close to home for me i guess i mean yeah. i haven't gone super down down that rabbit hole and would want to go more down but you know what it's never been that foreign to me he's been talking about it since a long for a long time now and i feel like we're just starting to, to warm up to it yeah that's a huge wave coming you man. know I, so i'm really excited about that are wave. you guys investigating are you personally investigating that at all or i am like i'm i'm um I'm uh, like I'm I'm spending quite a bit of time around like I'm really excited UBC is is raising money right now to 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 launch a psychedelic research lab in wow. Vancouver. So that's very cool. Really um cool. there's some interesting people doing some very cool work around opening psychedelic treatment clinics bef- like kind of pressing the issue a bit, mm-hmm. you know, like the way that you know, the weed stores kind of did in Vancouver where they just launched and, <laughs> and then we figured figure out the regulation later. Out later. Yeah. There's some people kind of come in that uh, in that direction around um, psychedelics in uh, not necessarily directly in Vancouver but in the Vancouver area mm-hmm. so I'm really excited about that I've been thinking about how I can like start to contribute like I'd like to be a, 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 a an ongoing donor to the UBC lab so I'm thinking about how I can get involved with that um, and then we're just doing I'm doing a ton of research uh, like I, I, I did psychedelics in my early like early like in my teenage years and all right. that kind of stuff I think growing up in BC, that's kind of just a thing. Yeah, um, I think it is. I yeah, don't know. at least not for everybody, but yeah. but I've always found it to, like I've always considered 
those experiences to be fairly formative in terms of how I see the world and think about Very things. And, so. and now I, I like we look at it much more scientifically and I just think there's profound possibility and they're just, it's just going to be a really important wave. Like I really, I kind of think about weed being legalized to me is kind of whatever. It's okay. You know, I think it's good from a social justice perspective. I think there's a lot of, especially in the States where there's a lot of people of color who are arrested. Absolutely. uh, Where white people aren't. And there's a lot of people in jail for weed related, you know, for nonviolent kind of things like that. So, so I think from a social justice perspective, there's some, there's some benefits to it. I don't necessarily think that everybody smoking weed all the time is good for society. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that more, the more people that can be exposed to, to psychedelic experiences, and to seeing just what's around the bend in the mind mm-hmm. and what's what what's really going on is uh, would would have a profound impact on society. So I'm really excited about all that. Like, and I'm I'm bullish about it. I'm interested in being an investor in it. Like, I I'm thinking about how I get more involved in that. Mm, totally. You know, nature of work at this point is really focused not in that realm, but I see it as a very obvious potential expansion area as the laws start to change. I'm hopeful that Canada plays a key role in moving fast and it sounds like we are there's a lot of conversation around that so i don't know it's a super exciting time man Mm -hmm. i I think like so much great research started in the 60s and 70s and it was really like amazing what was happening there and then it all got shut down right yeah and like rarely has there been a thing where just like all this excellent research was happening and then it just got frozen in time dark ages like shut it down space yeah and now it's all coming back and like what we're seeing in terms of the impact of it is pretty wild. Yeah. And, and what's rad is like, there's only three ways. So what psychedelics do in the mind is they shut down the default mode network. So what they do is they shut down the default mode network and allow different aspects of your brain to communicate where they normally couldn't. So the, what the default mode network is, is kind of like this gatekeeper in the brain. It basically says, oh, you know, this part of the brain wants to talk to this part of the brain. Okay, you can come through me and I'll exchange some information i'll mm-hmm. broker some information between you right <laughs> yes when you do psychedelics that that falls away and so your brain starts going like this and what's really wild about that is like suddenly parts of the brain that aren't supposed to be communicating are and that's what that's what creates these these the phenomenology of 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 psychedelics like all these experiences um What's super interesting is that the only other way that happens is through meditation. Yes. So people who are excellent at meditation, you know, when you, when they when they study the brains of Buddhist monks and, and deep meditators, the same thing is happening. The other time that happens, the other time we have ego dissolution and, and the default mode network falls away is when we're in flow states, when we're focused, mm-hmm. when we're doing something we're passionate about. That's the thing we don't really talk a lot about is like, that's why doing things that are like, meaningful to us that are challenging that you know like that actually create flow states for us that's why they're so pleasurable because mm. we're actually getting ego dissolution at that time at that moment there's no sense of time there's no sense of space you're just doing like yeah. you're you're just going yeah you're being yeah and that's yeah. what i love like so to me nature of work is is thinking about you know is thinking about how to help people reach that state more more often not necessarily right. through psychedelics but just through meditation just through focus or whatever. and meditation yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, meditation and do you have you experienced uh, sensory deprivation tanks at all? I have, but I I'm not in love with the ones that the city has here. Like I don't really find them to be sensory deprivation. Like I find that they they don't smell great, and they that's true. Kind of like I've been in one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like like true sen- like I don't know true sensory deprivation should have no smell, no sight, no sound. I can hear the engine whirring. So, yeah. but but I have had some pretty trippy experiences in them before. Right, like some really interesting 
uh, states that I've fallen into once once I did. Right. The other times I did not. Yeah, so you kind of just float in there. Like, I was like, uh, what am I doing here? Yeah. It's kind of weird in here. It's creepy yeah. coffin full of water. It's No, it's pretty weird. And if you're claustrophobic, <laughs> it's not the way to go. No. Um, at all. Not recommended. Not recommended at all. But yeah, no, those things are, are amazing. But it's like, okay, how do I make time for those things, right? Like, it's like, I'm really good at just being like, ah, fuck that. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, I got shit to do. Uh, why am I worried? Why am I worrying about flow states or meditation or so, sensory deprivation? And all this stuff I just think is like, if, if, if you just want to be, uh, like a cog and you just want to like pump out emails as fast as you can and do all that kind of stuff, like that's fine. If you actually want to m- do deep work, if you want to make a difference, if you want to have big ideas, you need to create space. It's that simple. Any of the great thinkers of our time, they spend a tremendous amount of time wandering in the woods or, like spacing out or taking naps and doing stuff like doing things that created space. That's how deep thinking happens yeah. is, is when that space, uh, when, when you create, when the pond can get really, really, really calm and ideas just bubble up. That's yeah. the funniest thing for me about meditation. The hardest thing for me about meditation is that every time I meditate ideas, ideas yes. it's just like, what do you boom. do? Do you write them down? I finish meditating and I write them down. Shit. I try to. Not always. Like sometimes, like sometimes just things I'm like, wow, how did I think of that? That's profound. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I find. Like I, when I was thinking about nature work in the early times, I was like, man, I am constantly coming across very intelligent young people Mm -hmm. who I'm super inspired by. I'm like, wow, this person is going to be just amazing. And then I, and then I, they're not creative. Like they, they can't really think. And I'm, I, and I had been wondering what was going on with that for a while. Like, why can't this very obviously intelligent, obviously hardworking, obviously caring person, can't they deliver any thoughtful, creative solutions? Push the boundaries on things and find. Why new can't ways. like they 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 can't they can go to A to B, but they can't go from A to C, and mm-hmm. like they can't. Yeah. And I, and I've and I and I've come to the conclusion, like my theory at least, is that for these folks, it's they're not creating enough space in their day to think. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just they're so busy doing that they're not there's no time for thinking and mm-hmm. for, and for actually creating space for their, for their subconscious to work. Like that's how our brain works. We hear, we learn new information. It comes into our brain, About 6% of it goes into our prefrontal cortex, the, the co- conscious part of our brain. The rest of it goes into our subconscious brain, right? And the, and the only way that uh, then the subconscious brain needs time to process it, to do correlation, to pro- like commit it to memory, and that's why when you actually create space, that's what's happening is your prefrontal cortex is lighting up. Or sorry, your your subconscious brain is lighting up and gray and, matter. And it's doing and it's doing correlation work. That's why right. ideas just come effortlessly in those right. moments. Is like your subconscious brain actually has space to work. That's why when you're doing dishes or sometimes you're in the shower or it's like when you've distracted yourself enough for your brain to go do its do its work that that ideas arrive. Mm-hmm. It's not from like sitting there and trying to grind out a great idea. That's rarely the, rarely the method. Yeah, but quite often the method I take. Um, <laughs> so with that, sorry, I'm just making little connections as you as you speak there. So you, earlier we yeah. talked about social media addiction. Yeah. And and uh, attention versus intention. Yeah. And and as a person that I want to fill every second of my day purposefully. Yeah. You know. And I don't think that I'm productive while I'm creating space. Again, I think that that same concept of intention versus attention, you know, if you're putting intention towards nothingness, there's mm-hmm. value there. Mm-hmm. But if you are not, and it is just mindless, um, 
scrolling or whatever it may be, then there is no value there. So attention versus intention in terms of planning your day could be really powerful, I think. I think having both, I, I didn't say attention versus intention. Oh. I said that you need to decide what you're going to pay attention to. Yes. And then you need to do it with intention. Do it with intention. Yeah. Like, yeah. like to have intention. And, and But to your point, like if you spend all of your free moments scrolling, yes. then you're not spending any time processing, thinking, learning, correlating ideas. Yeah. The other thing that's happening is we're seeing like a insane rise in anxiety where yeah. The amount of anxiety is... We've never seen this before. It's never been the case. Anxiety used to be a fairly rare condition. Mm-hmm. And the, it's really it's really simple that if the brain doesn't have time to process, it gets anxious. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy shit, Like, when do I get a break? When do I get to do... I have a whole bunch of backed up work here. Mm-hmm. I'm not sleeping that well because I'm like, you're on your phone late and like... So I'm not sleeping that well. I'm not getting enough REM sleep. That's another key time for, for, right. for processing. That's right. one of the most important times for processing. But also while we're awake, we need that time. Mm-hmm. And so just creating that space is also really key for, for managing anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a really fast way to do that. Yeah, I think that we, we have a certain amount of energy that we need to devote in a day. And we need to, if we don't, our brain just knows. Like, I don't know. There's no science behind this, or maybe there is. I have no idea. But our brain just knows if we are doing things purposefully or not. You know, our brain has a way of telling us that, hey, this is bullshit. If you accumulate a certain amount of bullshit in your day, your brain's just going to go, hey, no, bad, 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 bad. I don't know if there's science behind that, but I like it. I you like know what I mean? Theory. Like, essentially, like it's just theory. like if you're filling your cup up with Coke, it's going to know. Like, your brain's going to know versus if you're filling it up with water, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. That just makes sense to me in some way. I think the basic, the, the bottom line is that, uh, un- you know, unfortunately or fortunately, we are running on... Uh, a system that was designed a couple hundred thousand years ago. 100%. It was designed for a completely different lifestyle where most of our day was spent in leisure or in a relaxed state where we had short bursts of high anxiety, mm-hmm. hunting, protecting ourselves, running from a predator, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time was spent in very low-key uh, environment, not, not, not doing much cognitively at all. Mm-hmm. And now we're in an environment where we are cognitively, cha- like cognitively stressed from the very moment we wake up and we grab our phones to the very moment we go to sleep. And there is almost, like for a lot of people, there is no, no break in that entire day. No. And, yeah. even, and even like to the point, and I love podcasts and I, and I listen to lots of them myself, but I have to manage how much I do because even that, like even when you go for a walk, it's like, or when you're driving to work or you're taking the bus, I'm going to fill that time with, Downloading information, learning information. Yeah. How many audiobooks, podcasts? How many hours? Yeah. How many audiobooks? How many podcasts can you listen to in a day, in a week, in a month? And 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 frankly, like it's it's not even productive because you're not able to process all that information. Or implementing. Right. No, no, that's what I mean. You're not like implementing any of that right. knowledge because you're not actually creating the space to do that. Oh. So so I do think like with all of this stuff, um, I don't know who said it. I think maybe Doug Rushkoff said it, but he you know, there's a there's an uh, idea like think about creating moments of awe versus always with your media consumption. So create moments where you're really engaged and really like enjoying a piece of content versus always having content going, always having content coming in. So create moments of awe for yourself instead of always having consumption happening. Like, so what I've tried to get into is once in a while, I'll listen, like I listen to Joe Budden's podcast or something. Yeah, for sure. Cause to me, that's like, just rap talk just a and break. just it's just guys talking and it's fun right so for yeah. me that's a 
a relaxing thing I do once in a while. But if I but often if I'm listening to a podcast with an interesting guest on, say, Sam Harris's podcast or mm-hmm. or or something more um, business related, yeah. I'll try and say like, okay, well, I'm I'm going to spend the next hour listening to this podcast intentionally, and I'm going to take some notes, and I'm going to then think about it and think about how I might apply what I just heard mm-hmm. into my life. Like do it meaningfully, do it intentionally. Totally. As opposed to just blasting as many business podcasts as I can. Yeah, that's the difference between you and me right there. That's the difference. Um, <laughs> it takes it just takes it just takes adjusting your kind of habits and thinking around it. Yeah, I still have that run through a wall mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. And frankly, I, I like you go through I go through ebb and flow. Like there's times where I realize, wow, I've just been smashing through a ton of podcasts. Like time for a week of just ambient music or nothing. Like yeah. like let's let's try and find some balance. You know, you kind of come in and out of that yeah yeah when you create space there's a lot of amazing things that happen Mm -hmm. um and i think that is totally true in young people that can't find breakthroughs can't push boundaries can't think creatively it's like shit man when 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 am i gonna have the time to think creatively or really ponder something it's not we we live in a a hustle culture as well right this hard work narrative has just been pushed down our throats right and uh, you know yeah i pushed it down my own throat you know like i a hundred percent so when you still talk about those young people, like, what do you look for in a young person? Wait, so yeah, there's listen. There's a ton of intelligent, uh, hardworking people out there. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact, mm-hmm. you know. And we, we have a system that builds those type of people. Yeah. Outside of that, what's important to you as a as a CEO of of very successful companies? Um, that people are in it for the right reasons. Like they're they've they're. I don't expect them to be profoundly deep at 25 or something. Like they figured it all out or they know exactly what they want in life. I actually don't expect that really at all. But I, I, but I look for people that are, have a clear understanding of why they want to work for me or for one of my companies. Like what makes them want to be there? What's motivating them? Um, I do look for what are their habits and how do they, do they take care of themselves? Like what's their self care look like beyond mm. like, it's one thing to be a super achiever, but if you're doing that at the cost of sleep and the cost of everything else, I just, I just know you're not going to be able to think very well. It's for not going to work. Yeah. And, and also I don't expect people to know any of this stuff yet. Cause it's not, we're not really talking about it yet. Like I think nature of work is a fairly new, I mean, it's not like there's lots of great books on this stuff, but it's not commonplace knowledge i don't think and, not it's, at all. and the practices are definitely not commonplace not right so so i don't necessarily expect people to be all over this stuff but i do expect them to be open to learning it and to applying it and to to making some adjustments and finding some balance in their in their mm-hmm. life like uh i do look for people who are hustlers who are self like who are self-motivated who who are you know who are who are who are taking responsibility for their own lives who don't blame other people who don't take credit for everything that they do. They give credit where credit is due and all that kind of stuff. And then on top, on top of that is like, yeah, what what is motivating you? Do you have good ethics and, and intentions with, with what you're doing? And are you, if you're if you're already taking care of yourself, great. What are you doing there? And if you're not, are you willing to adjust, change. change a bit Yeah. so that you can, so that, that I can help you optimize yourself and take better care of yourself? Are you open to the possibility that you're wrong? You know, like, yeah, yeah, like, totally. Like, like, I mean, I am like, I want to learn know, new yeah, things. All, I want to learn new things all the time. Yeah, for sure. No. And it's a quality of a great yeah. intellectual leader. That's, and I think that's the other thing is like, I think what you just said is exactly right, but it's true for everybody. It's like, you just got to be willing to be open, admit when you're wrong, learn new things, you know, 
be transparent about what you do and don't know. Like the the thing that I, I think is the hardest and it's easy to do when you're young. Cause you feel like you kind of have to, but it's like to be like, yeah, I know how to do that. Yeah. Like I got this, like when you actually have no Hell idea, you did it. like it's one thing to, to, to say it and then go figure it out and then, and do it. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to be like bullshitting and to not be able to execute. Bullshitting is bullshitting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and there is a fine line because there, there is like, I have bullshit in my life and then quickly, backfilled that with real information and knowledge and done something oh what a great time but then you get into these i mean you look at scenarios like the theranos situation uh like elizabeth holmes and and her building like a multi-billion dollar bullshit machine you know like and 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 probably hopefully going to jail for it i mean we'll see but yeah but it's wild what people get away with so Mm -hmm. no no totally i i couldn't agree more man that was one of the big there's so many things that uh i've learned in the past year but that's a hundred percent one of them is like Dude, life is really long, you know, so yeah. if you're a young 20-something-year-old, uh, humans have been on this planet and learning for, I don't know, 10,000 years, Yeah, learning, you know, on a higher level, and that learning has, you know, definitely accelerated, you know, hockey stick for sure. Yeah. Uh, you're going yeah. to sit there and pretend that you know more than all of these people in all of time. Like, right. why, does it, why is it that you think you've accumulated enough knowledge to bypass these people or let alone by, bypass someone that, Steve, you're 40? I'm um, 38. Yeah. You're 38. Yeah. So you're more than double or you're not more than double you could at, so i'm 22 yeah so if you're 44 you'd be double my age right i've got a hell of a lot more adult years in my 100 percent. Right? so yeah like so like yeah. you're not you know if you were 44 i'd say you'd be like oh you have double my knowledge no 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 no, no. that's hockey stick bro yeah like that's hockey stick why why don't you have enough humility to understand that like the difference between a 20 year old and a 21 year old is vast you know, is, why yeah. don't you have that much humility? So for me, myself, it's just like, listen, understand, especially me coming on this podcast has been like, listen, understand that most of the ideas that you're going to put out are all hypothesis yeah. and like stand by them right now because that's what you believe is true. And if it's coming, if it's coming from a genuine place, that's okay. Yeah. But just be completely open to the fact that the person sitting across the table from you more than likely knows 18 times as much as you and just sit back and let that be okay. On certain things, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I do, I do, it's really interesting. I think we're in a, in a really different time than when I was, like your age in that your generation has exposure to so much information. And so, so one of the things like I I think a lot about is that there's like a a knowledge curve in your life, like information, how much information you can digest or consume or how much knowledge you have. Yes. But then there's an experience curve. And, and like there was a time when before the internet really like, or before the internet was mainstream, your knowledge and your experience were pretty on par. Like in high school, you didn't know what the hell sex was until you started talking to people about it. Like you couldn't yeah. go online and watch porn. You couldn't yeah, 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 hear, yeah, yeah. there wasn't docu- like a million documentaries on Netflix. There, like there's all sorts of things that you didn't learn about till you did them. Until, totally. you, until you actually just, you learn from the older guy down the block or you found out this thing and whatever. Like, but so your knowledge curve and your, and your, and your, um, experience curve were, were roughly the same but i think it's it's harder for i think a new generation right now where the knowledge curve can be way up here but your actual experience curve is way down here so it's easy to feel like man i i, I know everything like what the fuck there's like a pod <laughs> there's a blog post or a podcast or a youtube video about any single possible thing you want to do yes doesn't mean you know how to do any of that shit or know what it feels like to do it or what goes into any of that right like but it's easy to feel like you're up there, even though you you haven't experienced it yet, and that you have to 
have experiences to get your experience to match up with that yeah, knowledge. Totally. Like I, I just think it's a, a profoundly different time. And for a lot of young people, it's a really confusing thing because you think, why am I not a manager yet? Why am I not being promoted yet? Why am I not rich Whatever. yet? Why am I not rich yet? Like I, I, I understand how to be rich now. I can see it on the internet. Like even then, like there was you, all you competed with was the kids on your block or, right. or like the kids in your school. You didn't compete with the Kardashians. You didn't compete with like the the richest rappers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a completely. It's a bit of a mind fuck, really. Mm-hmm. So I so I I, I notice that, and so I do think you're right. Like you have to understand that the difference between having read something and learned it versus actually knowing how to apply it or knowing anything about the underlying mechanisms of what's actually happening there or have taught it or have communicated it too right yeah i've done like, it there's yeah, yeah, I've done it many times right yeah, yeah. For so, sure. so it's just a huge huge gap there yeah you know which humbles me every fucking day me too man yeah. like it's so interesting i've been thinking a lot about because i'm getting closer to 40 and i was thinking man like i'm almost at 20 kind of i'm, I'm about at 20 years of adult life right right and I was thinking, holy shit, man, I got another 20 to go before I'm even 60. Like, isn't that amazing? And it is exponential in terms of, like, to me, it's exponential in terms of how good life is because you, you you get more comfortable with yourself. You get more knowledge about who you are and what's important to you. And, mm-hmm. and, and you get better at things and you get, you know, your life expands and all that kind of stuff. And, like, man, I'm so excited for another 20 adult years. Like, feels like I've lived a whole lifetime. Like, if I yeah. if I die tomorrow, I'm 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 pretty happy with the life I've lived. I've done a ton of different things. If you died yesterday, your life would be a victory. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, at the same time, it's like, it's pretty wild that I get another 20 and I'm not even going to be 60. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's, it's like, oh, you know, what's my prime? Yeah. Like, dude, you have 40 years of prime. Yeah. What if Steve Rio has 40 years of prime? That's so crazy. Well, I it, mean, with all the technology coming down the lines, I could have 200 years of prime if I... Listen, so, listen, let's, let's, that's another, let's podcast, another podcast and we're, we'll get we're, there. Yeah, like, we're getting late We here. are super late <laughs> the night right now. We're not going there for sure. Yeah. But there's a couple, listen, um, I could go deeper on that as well. There's a couple things that I have to ask you. Um, we talk about skills and, and we talk about what you look for in a person. Um, and we talk a lot about productivity mm-hmm. and all these different things. One of the things I'm learning as a young person is how the hell do I manage these relationships? You know, manage these relationships as a, as someone who wants to be highly productive, manage these relationships uh, with significant others, manage these relationships with family members. You're someone like, I look at high achievers like yourself, and I'm like, how the fuck do they manage these relationships that they clearly value? So in that, I don't, like, it's easy to say, well, I make time, right? Like, make time. Yeah, that makes sense. But if you're running a multi-million dollar company mm. and you get a call from your head in San Francisco, and you're at the dinner table. You have to take that. So how do you really make time for your family in 2019? Yeah, I mean, I, you know what's really interesting is when I when I met Paris, when I met Paris, um, and like, first off, when I met my wife, but then when I met Paris, uh, uh, interesting how you were my that. daughter, but like, that changed everything because it, it suddenly made it re- maybe it was it was it became very crystal clear that business is just business, and like there's only two people on the world that I have to pick up the phone for, is my wife and Paris, mm-hmm. like that's it. Nobody else do I need do I have to, um, like I, like obviously my mom or my brother like there's other family members but like that's 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 where it's a hundred percent. That's those are two people that I'll drop anything for and walk out of any room, any meeting. Doesn't matter how important it was. Doesn't matter. Like 
that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. So you you actually, I think, if you get it right and you realize what's most important, like if you if you really get your head on straight about that, like business becomes more of like this is a vehicle to create success for myself, to to learn, to have fun. These are my hobbies. Like I'm lucky enough to do things I love to do. That's mm-hmm. awesome. But at the end of the day, they're not they're not what's most important. So mm-hmm. unless unless you know, there are certain times where I have to pick up the phone for sure. And there's a lot of times where I do not. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Like mm-hmm. I just don't. Like I've I I don't allow I my phone goes into airplane mode about nine o'clock at night, uh, or like sometimes earlier. If I'm in my sauna, my phone is far away from me. You know, like there's lots of I, I create space for that. Now that might be different in environments if I had like a hundred million, two hundred million dollar business, um, or something like that. But even then, I I just think I think there's a bit of fabrication that we've created around all that. There was a time when nobody had cell phones and businesses were a hundred million dollars and shit happened and it was fine. Like we just picked it up in the morning and solved it then. Yeah. Like we've created a bit of fabrication around it. So I think it's the culture you create in your companies. It's the it's the it's the it's the expectations you set with the people around you. Um, it's it's how you think about those things that that defines what you end up falling into. It's mm-hmm. up to you. Like I, I think a lot of people are just stuck in the ego of it. Like oh man, I'm so important that have to take this, like have to take this. It's a status symbol to be that busy. Like my, like my phone's on do not disturb. It's in my, it's in my bag over there. Like you haven't checked it in two and a half hours. No, nah, like that's yeah. not a big deal. Like one half of the two people that matter are in the room. So yeah. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> but like, you know, um, I think it's a status symbol thing too. So I, I just think right. you, you got to create the reality for yourself around that. Yeah. No, you've, you've fabricated your life in a pretty epic, freaking way and uh that takes a lot of discipline that just being like oh no there's two people i pick up my phone that's it, it. that's yeah. like i'm not there yet yeah i wish i was but that's hard like yeah, that's the, really hard and and that's <clears throat> and there's, there's like the way i use my phone today is it's on do not disturb 24 hours a day mm-hmm. but there's a whole handful of people that are on my favorites list kind of thing that it will buzz for when they call or text right and that includes like my management team and my, my immediate family and my best friends. Right. Right. Um, but otherwise like my phone doesn't buzz for anything, no notifications or anything. Like I just don't, I just don't Mm -hmm. use it for that. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and again, that's just conditioning and setting expectations and, and, and yeah, for the people that are important, they know that they shouldn't slack me if it's super important, they should pick up the phone and call. And if they're close to me, they're on my favorites list and they're going to get through to me. Yeah. But mm. there's also like you're not going to call me about a a business contract that went sideways at nine o'clock at night. I don't care at nine o'clock at night. And the last thing I want to do is not get a good sleep that night because yeah. I'm sitting there grinding about how to solve this problem. Yeah, I want to find out in the morning. Totally. After I've done my meditation, after I've done my morning yoga, after I've like set my intentions for the day, that's when I want to find out about the problem. Because at that moment, I am primed to think clearly. I've slept well. Yes. I'm ready to operate. Like I'm ready to execute at a very high level at that moment. I love that. I love that. I'm still working to engineer my life that way. Or like when you're when you are primed, and you you've done whatever uh, routine you have in the morning. Like oh man, is work exciting? Like like I'm it's like awesome. I'm like jittery. Like it's fun. Hundred you know? percent. And, um, and the other thing about that is I don't want my staff responding to an angry client at nine at night. Right. Like when they're tired and they're exhausted and maybe they had a glass of wine or whatever. Like I don't want them 
rattling off some shitty email to them at nine, like a bad reactive email. I also don't want them waking up the first thing in bed, half awake, responding to the same type, any type of email to anybody. I want them to get their head in the right space, to get focused, to get clear, and to respond uh, effectively. Yeah. Right? Totally. And thoughtfully. Yeah. And yeah. And with, yeah, intention. Okay. I'll end with a bang. Um, so I've, I've drawn parallels towards, I thought it was going to be a rap question. Nah, bro. Come on. Let's go. No, no, that's cool. I'll think of something in the meantime. What's up? Um, I told you I was a fan of Aubrey Marcus. I draw parallels between you two. You guys are thinking about a lot of the same things and and moving in similar ways. I find that, uh, uh, inspirational and I draw a lot of knowledge from those things. You guys are both, um, Oh dude, like a hundred percent. Cool. Uh, like um it's astonishing it's astonishing to 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 ha- have you to have lined you up as a guest and and dived into the work that you've done and simultaneously been a fan and watched the work that he's done there like it's literally on the exact same like you guys are just hearing you talk or hearing you speak on podcasts the way your mind works. it's anyways i won't get there but um watch me get squirmish on this as well like i'm on board with everything <clears throat> And I'm open to everything as well. You guys um, both talk about being in open relationships, which is something I find to be so open out of left field. Open relationships. And oh, no, no, I'm not in an No, you're not in an open relationship? Yeah. Okay, so that's good. Because I was going to be like, Steve, what the hell? That's mm-hmm. hilarious. So Aubrey talks about being in an Where open did relationship. I talk about that? Uh, I think it wasn't in your uh, one pager or it's just late at night. I'm crazy. Oh, I, what, it probably says something about being open and something but okay not in an open relationship okay because i was no. gonna be like steve that's crazy i can't see you as that type of person no. but that's really cool too my wife and i have like a fairly uh oh you know open thoughts about all that kind of thing right um but we're not in an open relationship now. crazy so there's so many different like societal constructs that you're bending yeah like you're in nature of work and bright yeah. web and I was like, holy shit, has he been in this one too? You know, you talk about psychedelics and all these different yeah. things. And I'm like, man, this guy is like truly a revolutionary. That's when I think people should do whatever they are most comfortable with. Yeah. As long as it's really healthy. Like mm-hmm. as long as it's, I, I think when you get, if you're, if you're too possessive with, with people, anybody, whether it's your partner, whether it's your friends, whether it's anybody, mm-hmm. like, that's not a positive thing. I, I think I think the people who can really do open relationships in a in a really healthy way that's a very deep crazy positive relationship. Yeah. Where but I but I think it it, it all comes down to um what's your relationship with sex? Like what does sex mean to you? Right. Like are you is is sex the deepest thing in your relationship or is there something deeper than sex? Mm-hmm. And is there and and so like it's stuff that my wife and I actually talk about but we're not but we're not in an open relationship yeah. now but like yeah, I agree. I think it's. I think it's something. I just. I just think it's something that people. I have. I have. I guess. I. It doesn't. I don't blink when I think about somebody being in an open relationship versus anything mm-hmm. else. Like I don't think there's anything. I think if anything, um, being in a single committed sexual relationship your whole life may be a less natural thing than anything else. I. Th- I do think that we're evolved enough to do that well, and that. Like all I care about is that that my wife and I are creating the deepest bond possible that we are like a single a single unit in this universe mm-hmm. and to me that's profoundly it's just so powerful it's totally. just so powerful what's possible when you have that level of trust mm-hmm. 
And so I think some people can have that and have totally open relationships. Some people have relationships where they bring others into their sexual encounters. And I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of ways to think about that. Very cool. So yeah, yeah, even, so even without going there, you're still thinking about and pushing the boundaries there in terms of just conceptually what that, what does that mean for us as a whole? It's very cool with all this stuff that you talk about and you, you dedicate your life and your work to Mm -hmm. what, what are you pushing the boundaries on with your thought? Like what's on your mind right now? Where are you trying to explore? What's next for you? Like you're already so many spots that are so deep and profound. Where are you going from here? I mean, I think the, the the thing I think about the most right now, and it's going to be really, really simple is, um, and this came out of a, uh, an experience I had, uh, recently, but it's something that just popped in my head was just, how do I be generous in every moment? How do I be grateful in every moment? So I think one of the biggest antidotes for all of the, the guilt complex, the, the never ending grind, the anxiety, the, like all of the pressure that we put on ourselves, um, and always like hitting the next point and just already thinking about, you know, hitting a goal and already being on to the next goal and not even, a you know, yeah. um, and, and often also for myself being someone who forgets to stop and be generous both with myself and with those around me because I'm moving so fast sometimes. Right. Um, the thing I think about the most is how can I be generous in every moment? And that's like, it's, it sounds really simple, but that's something that I'm really pushing myself on. Hell yeah is to be generous both to myself and to those around me at all times because what comes out of that, like what I'm realizing as I get through all this stuff, it doesn't matter what kind of car you're driving, what kind of house you're in, where you are in the world. At the end of the day, you're in your body and you're in your own brain. Like you're just sitting there with your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And if you're generous with people around you and if and if you're giving and you're, and you're grateful, mm-hmm. then you feel good. And it doesn't, you know, and, it, and if you're not, then it doesn't matter if you're in a in a in a in a lamborghini or mm-hmm. like whatever you're not going to feel good mm-hmm. and at the end of the day that's all we got like all we have is how we feel in our in our moment right now mm-hmm. so for me it's 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 practicing generosity and and gratefulness that's amazing yeah man food is food water is water shelter is shelter and the rest is mental uh to quote big crit speaking of big crit top five rappers alive alive all so right. you can't do the dead ones because the dead, you know, that you, you feel that's it right fine. there. That's fine. Uh, oh, you got it on deck just uh, like this? Uh, oh, come well, on. I can probably come up with it pretty quick. <laughs> Andre 3K. Okay. Jay. Gets a little tricky, doesn't it? Uh, Kendrick. I'll give Kendrick one of those spots. Kendrick gets the nod. Kendrick gets the nod. I think anybody who says otherwise has kind of got to be a hater right now. Like, um, Shit. Two more spots. This is big. Like this is this is big. We might put this at the start of the I'm podcast. I'm thinking about like I, I I I can go intellectual on it, or I can go gut, pure pure energy on pure it. energy gut feeling. Because like I might want to say Lil Wayne because he had a huge impact on the game. He did. He did. He does. He does. So Lil Wayne maybe. Um. Shit. All the tension in the room right now is Fifth, crazy. Fifth. I who, mean, who like, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Cole. Nah. 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 Uh, Cole. Who? Earth Gang. God yeah, damn. Yeah, like, I think you give Earth Gang a couple years, they might be. They might be. Yeah, like, especially one of them. I don't know the names of them, but 
they actually i'd be out on that like looking out for them to me they are they are doing yeah they're amazing unbelievable JID, shit right the now. whole thing yeah but um drake i don't know like pure impact you have to give drake that but i just i can't i just I just don't think of Drake like that. Like yeah. I think of him as a fantastic performer, pop star, all those things. Yes. Pure rapper. Like if we're nah. talking about rapper. Yeah. Nah. Okay. So 3K, J, Wayne, Kendrick. Oh man. Who else? Who else? I, I listen, we're going to put it at the start of the podcast. So, so people they will hear this and based off this, they'll be like, I'm tuning in or I'm tuning out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> alive, 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 alive. Um, this is where I wish I actually had my phone. I could flip. I <laughs> go through the playlist. Go through the recently played. Y'all think Cole? Yes, but Cole on this. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. I respect Cole. I just I don't find him engaging enough for me. Like yeah. I like a little bit of attitude. Yeah. Um. Man, I don't know. I'm just gonna go. Steve <laughs> gave us a top four. I'll give you a top four. <laughs> I'll take it. Alive? I don't know. There's got to be somebody else alive that I'm not thinking of. I have to come back to it, man. That's all right. Know. I gave you top four. That's all right. Nah. 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 Uh, you know, like, in one way I could put Kanye in that list. Another way I could put him nowhere, anywhere close to a, any list. Any list at all. He was just doing gospel music or on you a could, hill. You could put, yeah. I mean, you could put. But he had a massive impact on the game. But, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I gave, I gave you four. That was Steve, top four. I like it. Yeah. Yo, Steve, this is this is this is crazy long, and yeah, and I I appreciated every second of it. Learned a ton of it, and a ton about you, a ton about industry, a ton about a ton of stuff. I like that you bring up a perspective that is like I hate getting too freaking self helpy, and you you're very practical. Like everything you do is rooted in practicality. Yeah, for sure. Like that is so freaking important. Um, and so I appreciate your time. You value your time and, and giving it to us and this podcast and this team means a shit ton to me. So I appreciate you giving, yeah, thanks, a, giving a young guy your time. So thank you for that. My pleasure. And uh, I know that everyone listening really appreciate it. So right on. thank you, Steve. Thank you, man. That's a wrap.